Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. We've seen the Cardinals over the years and a lot of organizations over the years have success. My question is to you guys, who is the next young Cardinal that ends up signing that multi-year deal? Like, who is the next guy that they look at and say he is a part of this core, this group? Carlson. It's a long way off. I don't have another good answer, Jamie. (laughs) That audio courtesy of the fast lane yesterday, and they bring up a really interesting question, in my opinion. Who is going to be the next Cardinals player, the next young player internally that is deserving of that contract extension? We've seen it before. It happened with Paul DeYoung. It happened with Carlos Martinez. It happened with Colton Wong. It happened with Matt Carpenter. They love buying out those arbitration years to get cost certainty under the books, and then they add in a couple of those free agent seasons thereafter. So they basically buy out arbitration and give them the player a little more certainty long-term as well. Helps out the club, helps out the player. It's good for everybody involved. I don't see a whole lot of players that could be candidates for this though, guys. I was going through the books earlier today. Alex Reyes, Jordan Hicks, Harrison Bader, Jack Flaherty all signed through 2023. Gomber, Hudson, and O'Neal under club control through 2024. Edmund under control through 2025. Outside of Dylan Carlson, I don't know who the guy is that you'd look at right now and say, okay, they're the obvious candidate. Jamie, who would you point to under this scenario of the guy that they could do this with, where they buy out their arbitration years and sign them long-term? Yeah, looking at this list, and I know that he signed through 2023, but I would think that the Cardinals would like to make a play for Jack Flaherty on this one and try to throw him an extension to take up the bulk of those years and guarantee that they have him as part of the of the rotation for X number of years. So if I was the Cardinals, maybe you add a five-year deal on the backside of that. And now you're certain to capture, you know, what would be probably his prime years. Now Jack Flaherty would have to agree to that. And that's going to be the hard part. And that's going to definitely be the hard part. So he might be harder to sign from the player side of things because he probably thinks that there's money out there on the table to be had uh, apart from that though my gosh I'm not signing Carlos I'm not signing Carlos <laughs> I can't do it I can't do it and the other one I think we talked about it in the office the hot button is Harrison Bader what if I told you guys there is an elite center fielder oh. out there he is 26 years old over the past three seasons, he has been an almost exactly league average hitter. He averages oh, around 15 stolen bases per year, 15 homers a year, and 20 doubles a year. What if I told you that that guy might be the next one to be extended by the Cardinals? Um, Not great. Would you be surprised by that, Ferrario? If they decided, you know what, the guy that we are looking at that is going to be the next on this list of current Cardinals to be extended 
I would not be surprised if the answer to that question is Harrison Bader. Yeah, surprised? Hell no. That's that's typical Cardinals move. You got to give an extension to somebody. Might as well be the guy who's gotten you a gold glove, the guy who's the mainstay in uh. your outfield. It wouldn't surprise me. But he's it got would, two years left on his that, deal. It would piss me off because you're giving Harrison Bader a contract. You're giving Harrison Bader an extension for no reason. You're still trying to figure out what he is, air quotes, to your roster, to your future. And you're just going to say, oh, well, hell with it. Let's just give him five more years and keep him around. You can't pay that to a guy. Now, look, if you're getting like, I don't know, five, six million dollars a year for this guy, which doesn't seem likely. I don't know. I, I could actually see it. I could see him signing like a five year, twenty five million dollar contract. Then I'm fine with that because you're getting that at a steal, I think, because of the defense, because look at Colton Wong defense alone for players in their minds gives you 10 plus million dollars a year. Now, does defense in center field? Like, you know what I'm saying? Because Cole Long is second it's base. Yeah. It's right up the middle. You want up the middle defense. I just yeah, didn't this know. one's a little different. I understand the center field is definitely the most important position in the outfield. Mm-hmm. But as far as comparing it to second base, yeah. it is, is it equivalent Probably, as far as. In terms of most important defensive position, I would go catcher slash shortstop. Those would be the top two defensively in terms of the importance of them. And then center field would probably be right after that, along with maybe you could argue third base. Yeah. Okay. It, right up the middle is where you look at those. So look, if it's a if it's a cost friendly deal for Harrison Bader, who let's be honest, he's never going to hit higher than eight in your batting order. But if you're getting him for five million dollars for the next five years, you're buying out a couple of those arbitration years, which is all in purpose is going to give him a little more money. So I'd be fine with that. Not going to be happy with it, but you're getting a cost effective player. I'm not okay with it. I'm just not okay with it. That's a long time to have to roll the dice on an average player. Overall, I get the defense is elite for sure but his bat is no indication that that's going to get any better even though this year was better for him through 2023 i'm like yeah okay this is actually a really good deal because we get to see over the next couple and it's seasons year to year they're not they're not locked in at any point during this contract okay. right now because it's arbitration every year they could technically at any point just say you know what non-tender the thing that we've been talking about so much and i like that part we can of it. walk away i like that part of that deal for harrison bader uh, if i I give him an extra five years on top of that. Well, now I'm stuck. I'm married to this this project, and the project is either going to do well or it's going to bury me. Even at five million bucks, like in a cost, I don't crazy world right now that we're in to say that you know things might won't be better by the time that contract kicks in. I don't know yet, but I'm not marrying this player for an extra five years after 2023. I think I'm in favor of it, guys. Oh my god, oh, Jesus! <laughs> I do. No. I mean, I'm looking at this deal for instance for Colton killing Long. me. I know we brought up the deal for Colton Wong, and that's kind of the comparison, right? Wong signed a five-year, $25 million contract with the Cardinals in 2016. And then I had a couple of options, option years at the back end of it. I'd probably be in favor of the Cardinals going down that route with Harrison Bader as well. And the reason why is because that's always going to be a guy that is a big leaguer. And so I think at any point, if you decided to get out of it, Jamie, kind of like with this arbitration year to year thing that we were talking about, I think you can just trade him. I think there's going to be a val- there, There's going to be teams out there that look at Harrison Bader and say, OK, I, I think we could use a guy that 
maybe he hasn't won a gold glove, but plays gold glove caliber defense in center field. That might be the missing piece where at worst, he's a fourth outfielder on a really good team. The Dodgers could trade for this guy $5 million. That's nothing for them. But you're just doing it to do it. Like you're not, there's no purpose for you to re-sign Harrison Bader. That, unfortunately, that's Alex, the Cardinals way. That's what has happened, right? Like the Matt it. Carpenter extension that just happened. There was no reason Miles for it. Michaelis was the exact same. And the other thing is with him being an arbitration, and I don't think this is going to happen, but if he did have a good year next year, if he had a 280 batting average, 340 on base, and he was hitting, let's say he he somehow walked into 20 homers next year. Hold on. Do you want us to expect that? Walked into it. Do you want us he'd to be, expect it? He'd be more likely to walk into 20 pitches and take first base <laughs> well, next like year. Well, like 20 uh, walks throughout the entire God. season. So, Let's expect it, Jamie. 20 yeah. home runs. If that were expect to happen, <laughs> and again, I understand that it is unlikely, but I'm thinking about this the way that the Cardinals would. If that were to happen, his arbitration money the following season would skyrocket. Great. He would go up into Let a go. $10 million <laughs> player. Let him walk. I'm so happy for you. See you later. Take care. And so the reason why I bring this up is because now you've got cost certainty and we know how much the Cardinals love that cost certainty. If you could lock him in right now for five years, 25 million, very reasonable salaries over the life of the contract. <laughs> Just not You're buying there. out two years of his age 30 and 31 seasons. You have his entire prime here Stop in St. Louis. To sell I'm just not this. getting there. I'm not buying your used car this right now. This is not worth it. You're just throwing it out there to be throwing it out there. Uh, no, look, I do see your thought behind it, and I understand your, your path here. I'm just like, there's no way. For me, personally, I would not do that. And you tell me about what if, what if. You know what? If my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle, right? <laughs> so therefore, like, you got to be careful with the what ifs. I hear you. I want to check on that first, Jamie. The reason why I bring this up is because the conversation at hand is who is the next Cardinals player likely to get an extension? And I got news for you guys. The likely next Cardinals player to get an extension is Harrison Bader. No, God. No, God, please. No, 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 no. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line from the three one nine. BK, isn't it a little bit early for your horrible takes? No, it's, no. it's almost eleven fifteen. Ten after eleven, yeah. he's been stewing in the office for the last three from hours. Three one four. I feel like BK is in a competition with himself every day to see just how quickly he can lose the audience. From the three one four as well. Different three one four texter. Do you wake up every morning, BK, and ask yourself, hmm, how can I piss off the listeners today? <laughs> In fairness to you, I see your angle, and I think that that's what the frustrating part is for our listeners and, and Cardinals fans is they kind of listen to you and go, he's kind of right, even though it's absurd. They go, yeah, he's kind of right. You know what the frustrating part is? If Dakota Hudson wouldn't have got injured, he would have been, the obvious, been the obvious one. Absolutely. Because you're buying oh, yeah. out those years where his oh, arbitration would skyrocket. For sure. Then he would have blew out his elbow like he did or his shoulder, and then we'd have been two yeah. more years on the contract. The Miles Michaelis effect. Yeah. The other part of this, kind of to take this conversation one one exit further, going off on the next exit ramp, and I think this is where I will get Cardinals fans back on my side. Well, I doubt it. Mm, it I don't think so. If we can't come up with <laughs> obvious candidates to extend internally, well, then why the hell aren't we looking at candidates from the outside, bringing them in to be able to add to the payroll next year? You know, like this is why when we have the conversations about next year's free agent class, it seems so relevant to me, and it's so frustrating to me 
me that they aren't willing to go to these seven, eight, nine-year contracts because we just talked about guys that are coming up in 2023, in 2024, in 2025. Guys, that's three, four, and five years down the road. I mean, if that's how long it's going to be before we're realistically talking about potentially extending some of these guys, well, then you've got a real path here for 2022 and 2023 to add some salary to the payroll after you get Andrew Miller and Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler off of the books after Wayno and Yachty have officially moved on. This is the time to do it. I just, again, I think that they're going to sign, you know, <laughs> you know, Harrison Bader instead. I, I just don't want Harrison Bader to end up being the Matt Carpenter, where well, as soon as we get Bader off the books, we can go like if I am not advocating a no. contract to that degree. You're not I paying understand. them that much money. I, I'm I saying understand, but you see my point, right? Five million dollars isn't going to kill you if you decide to do that. Five million. Uh uh-uh, uh the Cardinals give him ten. I I'm <laughs> saying basically give Harrison Bader the Matt Carpenter deal for next year, the eighteen plus million dollar, give him that for like four years. Instead of giving him that over the course oh, of great. one year. Now you want to give Harrison Bader $18 million over four years. Jeez, <laughs> come on, BK. 13, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Birthday booze are still kicking in, huh? Licensed Rolex Jeweler. Coming up at uh, 1.30 today, we're going to talk to Blues coach Craig Berube. Can't wait to have him on the show. He is the best. Coming up at 11.30, we'll have our guy Jeremy Rutherford. But coming up next, former Cardinal. Got himself into a little bit of trouble over the last month. We'll talk about it and what it potentially changes coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. This will not change Tony LaRusse's status. And look, Jerry Reinsdorf is, without a doubt, in my experience, at least when it comes to front office people, the most loyal owner in professional sports. It doesn't mean he's the most effective. It doesn't mean he's the best owner, but he is the most loyal, which is why he decided he was going to give Tony LaRusse this unusual opportunity nine years after Tony last managed, uh, you know, at a time when Tony's 76 years old. And so it was not a shock to any. Anybody around baseball last night, though the White Sox were immediately tamping down the idea that this DUI was going to affect Tony's status. So if you missed the news last night, very unfortunate. Tony La Russa reportedly got a DUI earlier this season, about six months ago. He was charged with the DUI just about a month ago in Arizona. The White Sox reportedly knew about this at the time that they decided to hire him. They went through with it anyways. I'm not going to get on my moral high ground about all of this. I think we all know you shouldn't drive while you've been drinking. Like, point blank, end of story. We don't have to get into that part of this. But I want to get into that just for a second. Okay. Okay, I do. And it's not to jump on my soapbox here, trust me. But Tony La Russa has been a Major League Baseball manager or personality or some type of figure in the organization, wherever he's been, for a long time. He's made a couple bucks. I guarantee that he's not reaching in his pocket and only finding pennies. With Uber and Lyft and limos and cars and Tony, what are you doing? Like, I don't get it's the same thing I tell young players that come in the NHL and they want to have a fun time and go get get a car. Get somebody else, man, because you're like, I tell you what, for that half hour ride home or whatever, it ain't worth it. Tony LaRusa, come on, man. It already happened once. That's your that's your warning shot a long time ago in Jupiter. 
can't do it again. You got to be smarter. That's the bottom line. Hey, listen, people make bad decisions. I've made bad decisions Absolutely. in my life, a hundred percent. But when you're that old, and I'm not trying to be rude, and you've lived a life, and you've got some money, and you're in Arizona, they have nothing but town cars everywhere. I played there. They're available upon request. I think the frustrating part with all of this for me is the fact that the White Sox are knuckling down on this still. Like, they're going, they're, <sighs> they're standing pat on how we are behind Tony La Russa, even with the knowledge of knowing all well, of this. They, they have to, because if they, if they really are, and I see no reason why they would lie about this, if they knew about this at the time when they, they hired him. It. They knew it. Right. So if they did... What other alternative do you have right now? Because you hired him full well knowing that this was something that was going to come up. There was no way that it wouldn't. And you brought him in because you have a young roster that you want the veteran experience to lead them to the next platform of being a World Series contender. And your owner has gone over people's heads by saying this is who we're hiring. Nobody's been agreed upon this. And now you're going to have this come out and say, well, Tony La is our guy. We're, we're sticking with him. And I love Tony. Yeah. But the, you, and look, everyone loves comeback stories, right? Like everyone loves them. But this is a major mistake by the White Sox. And look, it, it it's not like Tony didn't have the deck stacked against him here a little bit. And I know he's a Hall of Fame manager, like literally in the Hall of Fame as a manager. And he might be just as baseball savvy as he's ever been. That, I guess, would be to be determined. But right away, there's been a lot of ruckus about uh, what are they doing? How are they doing that? And then to your point, guys, several times about the younger team and the analytics-driven team that's been there as far as baseball operations goes. And I know BT talks about how Tony uh, or uh, yeah, Tony Larusa and Dave Duncan were already doing analytics before. Great. But the general public, all they see is this Hall of Famer, older gentleman yep. coming into a new wave type team. It just doesn't look like it's a great mix. And now you throw this on top of it. It just doesn't. I think there's going to be pushback. I think that the people are going to push back so hard. The White Sox may have to renege on this. Do you guys remember a few years ago when the Tennessee Volunteers, the football program, hired Greg Schiano? Like it, it was a done deal, basically. And campus essentially revolted. The fans just went absolutely ballistic. They went nuts to the point where they had to stop it. They, they, they had to call it off, and they decided, you know what, actually, Greg Schiano's not going to be our next head football coach. And they ended up with Jeremy Pruitt instead, and it looks like that's going to work out better, and all's well that ends well, right? But essentially, the fan base at Tennessee was so up in arms over Greg Schiano's past and some of the stuff that is in his history that they got him fired moments after he was more or less hired with a handshake agreement, right? I would not be stunned to your point, Jamie, if something similar happens here. I don't know how it happens because Major League Baseball is a very different animal than college football, right? The college sports, the college fan bases have a little bit more power in terms of the dollar amounts, the donors. There's a different type of agreement. There's a different partnership Mm -hmm. between college sports and its fan bases compared to the MLB and its fan bases. That being said... I was reading an article earlier today from Ken Rosenthal, and this quote really stuck out to me. And he was talking about this. What if they decided to go back on this this decision? Ken Rosenthal, who's not exactly a bleep slinger, 
wrote, quote, if such a move happens, maybe this time the White Sox would conduct an actual search rather than a dog and pony show that focused on only one pony. A candidate that Reinsdorf declined to interview, A.J. Hinch, is now the Tigers manager. Alex Cora, who should have been another possibility for Chicago, has since been rehired by the Red Sox, end quote. He's basically saying there, this was all a fake search. Jerry Reinsdorf knew who he was going to hire before this process ever actually began. And now you've got all of the stuff in his past in terms of the um, the pregame demonstrations of kneeling for the anthem. And he's having to answer to all of that. And he, he tried his best to answer it at his first press conference. Right. You've got the questions about how is he going to be able to connect with today's players? And these are all fair and reasonable questions. And then on top of all of that. You've got this, mm. this gets, this dead fish is in your lap now. Like it just, it seems like more than what they needed to undertake for a team that is legitimately ready to compete now. And now you've got a manager that we hear all about how these sports teams, especially professional sports, don't want distractions in the clubhouse. This is the definition of a distraction inside of the clubhouse. And I want to clear something up here. Uh, the air comfort service text line 65780 we get one from the 314 here and and i understand we get this a lot when we talk about something like this because you guys are acting like this is domestic abuse it was drinking and driving yeah he shouldn't have done it but it really shouldn't be punished that bad either so let, <laughs> let me let me have my response to that really quick here wow is tony russa hit a curb hit a curb what if that was your wife your kid your mother in another car or walking her child down the street, would we still feel like that it's not that much of a big deal? Sometimes it's not the actual outcome that is the problem. It's the possibility of what the actual outcome could be. And that next time, if it's this is not taken seriously, the next time it is a kid, it's your mom, it's your dad, it's your wife, it's your child, whatever. So that's why it's serious. So sorry, 314, but it is a big deal. It's process, not results, right? If a manager, this is obviously very different comparing to unlike things and trying to make them similar, but if a manager puts in a pitcher that has no business being in that spot, it's a, uh, he's got terrible splits against this style of a player, right? And the guy strikes him out. Well, you got the good results, but that doesn't mean it was the right decision. The mm-hmm. process was bad. And that's the same thing here, Jamie. And so I just... I have a tough time with comments like that because it, it's silly to me that 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 would be the, the 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 thing that we look to. I just if you're the White Sox and you are there are already very reasonable questions about this hiring and then something like this comes up and they knew about it all along. It's like, should we have maybe at least interviewed other candidates to see if maybe there was somebody else out there in this particular cycle that would have made more sense for us? And they opted not to do that. Mm -hmm. And now they're stuck. And this is what they're going to have to deal with. So I don't know what the questions are going to be like in Chicago, but I listened to the introductory press conference. They didn't exactly pull punches when they were talking with Tony La Russa. He's starting already basically on the hot seat. And that's unfair to him. It's unfair to the team. It is unfair, most in particular, to those players I can't imagine being one of the guys in that clubhouse that now going into spring training, you already know your manager is going to be on the hot seat and he's going to be under strict criticism the moment that he takes the field for the first time with you. It's it's just a bad position to put your team in. And so I I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know where this goes from here. I don't know if he continues being the manager or not. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, but I do know that it puts all of them 
in a bad spot right now, especially <laughs> considering the fact that they knew about this and decided to go forward with it anyways. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to talk with our guy Jeremy Rutherford about Colton Pareko's new role and Justin Falk in particular. We're going to talk to Justin Falk tomorrow. I want to talk to JR about what Justin Falk needs to show this year for us to really start believing that this contract's going to work out well for the Blues. That's all coming up with JR next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's good to have the gang back together. Ferrario's updates are back. They're back. We are back. And I love it. On point. And let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at JP Rutherford. JR, man, always appreciate the time. How you doing today, buddy? Doing well. Ferrario's back. Your hot takes are still horrible. Uh, you guys Whoa, well. JR, come on, swing it. Wait a second. That I was mean, unnecessary. What wow. did I say that you disagreed with today? Oh, no, just, uh, I don't know, 27 more years of Harrison Bader's bat. I said five. I said five years, and I said $5 million <laughs> per said, year, and no, I stand by million. that. He said 18 and a half well, per year, JR. Craziness. I, I'm just here to tell you that wasn't during break. It actually came out over my radio. You are one pathetic loser listen i have had really bad takes before this is not one of them i've I've had some really bad ones this is this this doesn't even make my top 10 list and we've only been doing this for like eight months jamie that's a good point you do have one heck of a top 10 list (laughs) all right jared let's get over to the blues where you have nothing but good takes on the blues uh let's talk about our guy justin falk because jamie and i talked yesterday about the potential expansion draft and who the blues could protect whenever that draft does come up next year what does justin falk need to show us this year for him to be protected in that draft in your opinion well, I think it's going to be uh, tough because you have a situation. You have a uh, Colton Pareko, you have a Tory Krug, and, and a guy I still like, and uh, Vince Dunn not under contract yet. And uh, as Jamie was saying, I believe earlier in the week, you have a situation with Justin Falk. He's got the big price tag. So do you expose him because you don't think that they would uh, take him and you're able to protect the other three? You know, I think that's a possibility. But. If Justin Falk, and I'm looking forward to your interview with him uh, tomorrow, uh, if he can play really well, you know, I think it, it's not so much the 6.5 million AAV that kills you in terms of unloading that deal if you wanted to. It's it's the seven years. And so uh, would that scare Seattle away? Even if he plays well, you don't know. So I think when you look at Justin Falk going into uh, this upcoming season, he's going to have a more defined so I think he's going to be better. The one thing that we all have to keep in mind is you had two outstanding defensemen in terms of in their own zone in Petrangelo and Pareko. Now with Petrangelo gone, you feel like you'll still get that from Pareko, but it, I think it's going to be noticeable uh, in terms of, of not having that depth on the right side defensively. And does that expose Justin Falk? I, I think it could. Yeah, Jared, I absolutely think it could, but you know, he had some pretty good success in Carolina, and he was a pretty reliable player uh, for that team. 
And I'm just looking fast forwarding to this season coming up, whenever that might be. And do you think that sometimes a player, all he needs is a direct path to success? And what I mean by that is when he came here to St. Louis, just as you mentioned, Petrangelo and Pareko are definitely ahead of him in the rotation. The only way to get in maybe is on the left-hand side. Then he's got a revolving door of partners that he doesn't seem to ever really stick with one partner or another. But now that the path seems to be a little more clear for him and what his role might be for the team, do you think he can flourish in that role? Yeah, I do think he can. I think that uh, he's going to have a better year. You know, I'll just I feel comfortable coming out and saying he's going to be better. Uh, You know, the one thing that we go back to last year and we can talk about, you know, was he comfortable? Of course, he wasn't uh, comfortable. Uh, But what struck me when I wrote a piece last year is that uh, you know there, there wasn't that defined role, and it wasn't really talked about. And I think Doug Armstrong even admitted, hey, when he came over, we really didn't have a role for him. When I interviewed uh, Justin Falk, I said, did you ask, like, when, when you're talking contract negotiation extension with the Blues, did you talk about, you know, who am I going to be, what am I going to be there? And he said no. He, he said that he was looking forward to, you know, new scenery and the contract, obviously, and, and they didn't talk about that role. And, you know, I think that that was a, a negative. I mean, it doesn't mean that uh, if they would have talked about it, they would have found a role because you had Petrangelo and Pareko. But to me, here's a power play player who wasn't on the power play. Here's a top four guy who wasn't in the top four. I do think the way it's set up this year, it's set up for him to have some success. But as Doug Armstrong always says, projections in the summer are projections. He's got to go out and play well. Yeah, Jay, I still think it's a bit of an uphill battle for him. And here's why, right? And you you talk about Vince Dunn, who's still unsigned right now. I, I It puzzles me as to why he hasn't just signed his qualifier. But I'm not his agent, so my opinion doesn't matter. But once you do get Vince Dunn back under contract, if you look at the way the Blues structure their power play, they very seldom go with two defensemen. Every every right. now and then, the second unit will see two defensemen out there. But if that's the case, is it a guarantee that Justin Falk gets that time? Because I'm anticipating that Tory Krug will be the quarterback of the first power play and that Colton Pareko and a Vince Dunn possibly on the second power play. Now, Justin Falk might get some time in that rotation, but I do think there's still a bit of an uphill battle for him to increase his role on the offense. Yeah, with Tory Crew coming in, obviously he's going to be the, the quarterback there, and, and they want to get Colt Preco more involved uh, with the power play and on a more regular basis. So, yeah, I don't want to insinuate that it's an automatic that Justin Falk's going to be on the power play. I just believe that with Alex Petrangelo out, uh, there's going to be some opportunity, and, and whether that's first, second unit, whether that's earning it first and getting in there, whether that's the power play not uh, playing up the stuff, and, and then Falk getting there. I just feel at some point in time we'll see him on the power play, and but even if he gets on it, it it's not to say that he's going to be the player we saw in Carolina on the power play and, and I think he knows that but uh, I think more importantly big picture you're talking about a top four role and you're talking about the right side for him and those are two key things that I think have to be in place for Justin Falk to have that success and after last year not having it it's going to be there this season so that's kind of the abstract JR of what success looks like for him but in terms of like kind of pinning this down what does a good year look like 
for Justin Falk? Are we talking about 10 plus goals? Are we are we judging it by him uh, being better defensively? Like, what should I be looking for if I'm a Blues fan to see, Okay, that's different. That's the Justin Falk that we expected to see. That is a good season from Justin Falk. What would it take for that to be the case, in your opinion? Yeah, I don't want to take the easy way out here, but to me, it's not goals. It's not stats. It's uh, good things happening when he's on the ice. And you could say that for any player. I understand that. But we can't have a situation this year where Justin Fox playing 20, 22 minutes a night, second pair, right side. Of course, he's going to see some really outstanding offensive players when the Blues don't have the matchups. And and if we're talking a situation where he's getting burned and exposed defensively, uh, to me, that's first and foremost. I mean, he's an offensive-minded player, but he has to be able to stabilize in the back end. And so that's first and foremost. And then if he can do that, build off that, and then be the type of player, again, that we saw offensively uh, in Carolina. So to me, you know, 15 goals, 40, 50 points, I don't know if that's what we're looking at. I think after the year that we saw last year, uh, BK just want to see a guy who, you you know, you you go out there, you play a game, and you know you can count on him. Yeah, Jared, last thing I've got uh, on Justin Falk, and it kind of pertains to Krug, Dunn, and Falk, is physically the way they're built, they're very similar out on the ice. They're not huge guys. Uh, Dunn and Krug specifically use their mobility. Justin Falk, maybe not quite as mobile as those guys are. But how important is it for someone like Justin Falk to get involved physically? And I don't listen, he's not going to be running guys over left and right, but with Alex Petrangelo no longer in the mix, with Jay Bowmeister, another big guy, no longer in the mix, there is going to be a need for that toughness in front of the net. And as if nothing else, just boxing guys out of the house in front and and how is Justin Falk going to handle that yeah how about that Riv I mean you look at this Blues defense uh, a couple years ago to what it is now uh, to me it's it's undergone a quite a uh, you know cosmetic change when you talk about the, all the guys 6'4", 6'5", 215, 220 and, and I know you know that uh, Scott Perinovich is on the way another mm-hmm. undersized guy so will all these guys still be here will Vince Dunn still be here when Perinovich gets here uh, we don't know but these guys uh, just don't have the same size and brawn that we uh, remember the Blues from the past few years defensively I don't know if you can look at that situation and say hey you know now it's more incumbent on you Justin Falk to be a little more physical um, and I know you're not trying to pin that on him collectively as a group they're going to have to be well I'm not uh, trying to pin it on him JR but what I'm trying to do is he has to find a role right like yeah because he can't just be vanilla at 6.5 million and that's the thing that guys struggle with and even myself in my career you have to find a role and if he can bring that physical element play with a little nastiness that maybe Vince Dunn or Tor Krug are not going to bring that separates him from the pack a little bit that's kind of what I meant yeah, I think so. Yeah, at this point here is, and I always use this example, this analogy with uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, they never had a fighter, but they were winning uh, Stanley Cups. And, and to me, it's because they were always up three nothing on you because of their skill. And so, if the Blues have gone this direction, where they're, you know, trying to move the puck, maybe they're more undersized guys. You know, they've got some guys who can put up some points with Krug and, and potentially Falk, and you hope you can have that from Pareko. Look, if they can get the puck up ice and get it to the forwards, and this team can play like it does sure you're going to need a little physicality here and then but you know get up two nothing three nothing on teams 
uh, with your skill and kind of the way this defense has been built. And yeah, it's going to look a little bit different than it has in past years, but it's a different way of being successful. I just, uh, I just don't know that you can expect uh, expect it from guys like a Pareko and a Falk. It's, it's really not who they've been. Um, they can up it a little bit, but it's not going to be to the point. I, I think we're uh, the player that uh, we want them to be. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his work over on the athletic. We always appreciate his time here on one one ESPN. You can also give him a follow, a follow on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, always appreciate the time, my man. We look forward to talking with you again next week. All right, yeah, we'll be listening to Chief in a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. That's coming up at 1.30. Craig Berube going to join the show coming up here in just about two hours. For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We will get some questions and answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. service text line for questions and answers guys i am not typically a sucker for these new owner press conference okay i'm sorry <laughs> wrong button there right no i didn't i uh, didn't know you were finished going on with the sentence i thought you were done there was I'm no need to finish it <laughs> i'm not typically a sucker for these new owner press conferences because Everything you say is right until it's proven wrong, right? Because these guys, they, they haven't made any moves yet. They haven't been wrong in any of the decisions that they've made. So it's easy for them to say all of the right things. But a lot of the times they don't. They don't end up saying the right things, and it just kind of comes off as flat, mm-hmm. and you move forward and let's hope that it goes well. Steve Cohen, the new owner of the Mets, is having his press conference right now, and he is saying all of the right things. Here's just kind of a a glimpse into what he's been saying. Here's one quote. This comes from John Heyman. Quote, I'm doing it for the fans. I'm not trying to make money here. I'm not in this to be mediocre. I want something great. If he backs that up with moves this offseason, guys, this is going to be something really intriguing to keep an eye on because the Mets will directly compete in the National League with the Cardinals. It's possible that starting next year, a couple of years from now, between the Dodgers and the Mets, it's going to be a new look in the National League. You're going to have a couple of teams in the NL that are really willing and ready to start spending in a big way here pretty soon. Yeah, look, this is... um... This is dangerous for the league, okay? And I don't mean in a bad way, but you have an owner that has the deepest pockets out of everybody in in the dog park, right? And he can do whatever he wants. And he's not even worried right now at this point about making money or losing money. He's trying to create something great in a time where there might be a lot of really good players that just because of process of elimination get put in the bargain bin and nobody's able to pay for them or they don't want to spend that much money, he swoops in and all of a sudden, literally almost overnight, creates a powerhouse on the East Coast. Uh, yeah, this guy, this guy's dangerous right now. And he, like you said, he's saying all the right things, which, and again, because baseball doesn't have a salary cap, yes, they have the luxury tax. I don't know if Mr. Cohen's all that concerned about the luxury yeah. tax. Therefore, you know, the, the Dodgers of the world, everybody's got to be very much on alert right Wouldn't now. Wouldn't you be willing to pay the luxury tax if it means you can win a World Series and spend all the money you need to? Well, you do the math, right? You yeah. have your accountant do the math and say, okay, here's a luxury tax. We pay this much, but we're going to make this much. Okay, mm-hmm. it's, we'll what, it. it's what the Lakers used to do when they were winning all the championships. It's what the Celtics did. It's what the Warriors did. You can offset those luxury taxes by the money you make when you go to the finals and win. I Just to kind of draw on my experience in KC, they had a influx of season tickets 
buckets. And I mean, the revenue that they made from their playoff runs was astronomical compared to a typical season because they went to the World Series in back to back years. I mean, I that was in Kansas City. Now, imagine that in New York where the Mets have been craving a winner for years. Mm-hmm. And they had the one year in 2014, 2015, where they did end up going to the World Series. But basically, since then, it's been a mess in New York. And so if he's actually serious and he's willing to take on some money, good or bad, because I've heard, I was talking to Jamie about this in the break, I've, I've heard from a buddy who covers baseball nationally, there are some teams out there right now that are at least looking at the possibility of taking on a bad contract from somebody and we see this in the NBA sometimes. They'll take on a bad contract, and that team that's giving them the bad contract will also give them a prospect for the luxury of having that money on their payroll. And then in return, they'll send a pretty good prospect out there because, you know, I have to give something to get that prospect that you're sending me, but you're you're getting a prospect plus a bad contract, and you're giving out a prospect of lesser value. So it ends up being a pretty good value proposition. I wonder if we see something like that from the Mets where they take on a bad contract but they get a damn good player in return. Real quick, I was... What are the rules in baseball? Sorry, Alex. What are the rules in baseball about buying out players? Because, like, this guy's got so much money, he might be like, I'll take on that contract and buy the player out. You can do it. You gotta pay it. Yeah. yeah it's the same, it's same as usual. You're paying the money that you buy him out. like, handicap your team as far yeah. as against the luxury tax. My, a lot of teams don't do it just because they're they're guaranteed deals. Like, and, it's 100% guaranteed yeah. in baseball the yeah. same way that it is in, in and hockey. You keep them on your roster because maybe there's some type of an effect for you down the road. I was just thinking about this too. What if Cohen's doing the, the smart move here? Like, we don't know what next season's going to look like. We already know they're dealing with financial uncertainties, but with the prospect of possible vaccine, and I'm just looking down the road, what if Cohen's thinking, you know what? What if we get back to normal next season? And before the other teams realize that, I've already hit the market and bought these players so that none of these other guys can go out there and get these guys. Oh, yeah, corner in the market. Buying so, up everything before anybody else can get to why it. Why wouldn't you do that? Because it's still uncertain, but if you're Cohen, you're thinking, well, hell, I'll go spend the money and let's just say we get full capacity. If Apple stock dips down suddenly on for, for whatever reason, like if it, if it just plummeted one day and there was no clear reason as to why, or maybe there was a clear reason and you knew it was going to get better eventually. Well, then we'd all want to buy the Apple yeah. stock, right? Right. Baseball is the Apple Cohen's stock. Cohen's got enough money. He might just create the vaccine <laughs> yeah. himself. Why not? 65780 <laughs> is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, if the Cardinals know that we are going to sell out the stadium every game, whether they put out a championship contender on the field or a below average team like they've been doing recently, then what do you think the incentive is for them to change their philosophy on how they put a team together? Oh boy! <laughs> there, frankly, there isn't one. That's yeah, that's I'm kind of the difficulty here. Sitting is like, here, like, uh, don't know what to say to that. There, there is no incentive. Typically, you want a carrot and you want the stick, right? And so the stick in this case would be, well, you stop going to the games, and the carrot is winning championships. Yeah. If the Cardinals are kind of sitting the fence in between those two things and they know that the stick's not really going to actually hit them and the carrot, well, there is like not all that enticing sometimes. Well, then there's no real incentive to actually go to extents where you're uncomfortable, whether it be with spending or sending prospects out or feeling like you're going all in on any given year. There isn't an incentive there for that. And that I think that's what we've been talking about in a roundabout way for weeks and months now, mm-hmm. maybe even years if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, I would agree. He's Jamie Rivers. That is Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. So I was looking yesterday at ESPN.com. And Jamie, 
they had a story breaking down with projections what next year's free agent class is going to look like. That includes guys like Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman, Chris Bryant. What kind of contracts are these guys potentially going to be looking for? I've got some actual numbers on projections from a national analyst. You tell me if you think that the Cardinals would be interested in these. We'll get into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Yeah, it is a philosophical thing. You know, also, you know, let them own Arenado. He's certainly available. He's making thirty-five million a year. I mean, you know, the Cardinals have as much money as anybody. You know, with the uh, yeah, they lost money like everybody else. But you know, when you're selling out a uh, over forty thousand seats a game with the ballpark and village, you know, it's it's a gold mine. So they they can certainly spend as much as anyone if they wanted to. But I think just philosophical. So that was our guy Bobby Boogie, Bob Nightingale, last week talking about how the Cardinals philosophically do not believe in giving out these long-term contracts. And of course, I'm talking about six, seven, eight plus years of term in terms of the actual years on these contracts. And so with that in but the back of give our mind, one. Uh, five years. You want to give them 18 and a half million a, dollars a year. My goodness. Jeez. Sorry. With that in the back of our mind. <laughs> Let's go over to ESPN.com, where yesterday our guy Kylie McDaniel put together his projections for next year's free agent class. I know we're, we still have not even really began this year's free agent class, but he's already looking to next year because it's far more interesting. Yeah, but I think it's important because everybody's anticipating that because of the pandemic, this might be an off year. But that next offseason, two things, one, the big CBA, and then all these other guys that you're going to talk about becoming available. So it is relevant. And let's be honest, that's a pretty historic historic free agent class that you're seeing with all of these. I mean, you got a lot of future Hall of Famers coming out on free agency. So here is the list of guys that could potentially be available next year. Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Freddie Freeman, uh, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant. Those are, as Alex just said, legitimately some potential future Hall of Famers that are going to be hitting the market next year. And the question becomes for the Cardinals, okay, if you sit out the market this year to try to reset the books going into next season, would you be willing to play in these waters? Would you be willing to give out these types of deals? And what do these types of deals really look like? So the projections that he has from Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com, Francisco Lindor, nine years, $235 million. Same thing much. for Corey Seager, Signed. nine years, $235 million. Grab him too. For Carlos Correa. Both. Eight years, $200 million for Trevor Story. Seven years, $190 million. Freddie Freeman, older. He's the oldest of this group. Five years and a buck 45 in terms of the contract for him. Javi Baez, also a little bit older. He'll be 30 at this point. Six years, $145 million. And then finally, Chris Bryant is the cheapest of this group, according to Kylie McDaniel's projections, at five years and $120 million. Now, to be fair, I don't think he's even an option for the Cardinals. He seems very clearly to not want to play in St. Louis based on previous contract. Actually, I want him here just to punch him in the mouth. (laughs) So. Sorry. As you guys see those projections, basically somewhere between six and nine years and somewhere between twenty five million dollars and thirty million dollars for each of those players. Do you get the warm, fuzzy feeling that the Cardinals are going to be actually interested in looking at signing one of them? Well, that's cute. 
cute. When I saw these numbers, I was taking a drink of my water at the same time, and I almost had water come out of my nose and mouth and everything at the same time, thinking about the headlines of the Cardinals signing one of these deals. It's just not going to happen. And it's, look, they have a philosophy, and, and to be fair to the Cardinals, that's an awful lot of committed, guaranteed money. It really is. Now, I know that I believe that Lindor is a guy you go and do that for. I like Seager, too, and Correa I'm not as high on, but still he's a great player. But if you're looking at $234 million at nine years, uh, I think these guys are going to get every bit of that. I just don't personally see the Cardinals attaching a $234 million to a player. If not, when? That's my biggest question. I don't know. That's $26 million a year for nine years. And I get the philosophy of not liking to go long term. But we've talked about it before, BK. Matt Holliday, Scott Rowland, Albert Pujols, Jason Hayward, David Price. Name the person. The rumors were out there that they were willing to give that long-term deal. But if if you're not going to change your philosophy for a guy who is a possible Hall of Famer, probable Hall of Famer, like Francisco Lindor, who will be 27 Mm -hmm. at the time, he'll be 35 by the time his contract is up, 36. The timing's actually almost perfect. All of the money's coming off of your books. Carpenter, Fowler, Carlos Martinez. You're getting rid of all of these contracts. If you can't find a way to put $26 million a year for one player— who can alternate your entire batting order, your entire organization, if you can't do it now, then plan on being mediocre the rest of your time. I just see the Cardinals. I don't think the issues with the $26 million, right? Nope, I, I actually, it's not. It's not. I don't think it's – and you look at the total. It's the nine. It's the it's nine. The nine. But it's that's the first done. number. The, that's the done. first number is the one that bothers them because they've spent twenty five million, twenty million, twenty two million. Make twenty two. He's at like eighteen and a half, yeah. something like Wasn't that. Wasn't he at twenty two or something? Or no, am I, I just? Think so. I think you're just making stuff. That's up the day again. I bang my head. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's at like twenty three, so they're not un- unwilling to go to the. What's the highest they've ever paid anybody? I think Goldie probably, probably would be Goldie. the one, if but I'm not mistaken. Let's be honest here. They well, offered, I'm just trying to figure it out. Like They the, offered mass, a max contract to Pujols. They offered a max contract to Jason Hayward. They offered to take on the max contract of David Price and Giancarlo Stanton. So, well, and that again, one. These are all rumored, but at least they've shown the ability to do that. And my argument to not wanting to do the seven- or nine-year deal, how did Holiday work out for you? Great. Give him a seven-year deal. This is two more you're years. You're not going to get him for seven. But what this about, is two more years oh, of Lindor. Just, yeah, okay. And he's younger than Holiday was at the end of his career. And that's the thing that I've always kind of made the case for is, okay, if we're talking about a 31-year-old player, that's totally different. Right. I wouldn't want to give a nine-year deal to a 31-year-old either because you're already on the back end of his career. You yeah. probably are. If you're not out of the prime of their career, you're getting very close you're to being out of the some prime. bad years with that deal. And your last like three, four, five years maybe even are going to be rough right. on that contract. Corey Seager is going to be 27 when he signs his next deal. That means you're going to get seven prime years out of it. Carlos Correa, same thing. He might even get the full nine years of great baseball. Carlos Correa is the guy that I would probably hone in on here, and I know we haven't really talked a lot about him, and he does have some questions, more so than the other guys. because you like cheaters? Uh, No, it's because I like good baseball players. He likes trash cans. Um, got a thing for him. Carlos Correa had a bad back at one point, and so that is a serious, serious concern. And that would give me real pause about giving this long-term money to him because of that bad back. Because you don't typically get 
completely healed from something like that. However, he's going to be 27 years old when he signs his ne- signs his next year or his next contract. And from these projections, they've got him on an eight-year deal. So you're telling me the end of his next contract will be his age 35 season? You might not get, if he stays healthy, big if, knock on wood, you might not get a bad year in any of that deal. The problem is, and this is what we talked about for Aria when we talked with Derek Gould the mm-hmm. other day, it's not about the... 25 26 27 million dollars it's not even necessarily about the term it's about the fact that okay so this eight year 25 million dollar deal the last three years they don't look at it as three years 25 million dollars per they look at it as an extra 75 million dollars guaranteed they look at it as a lump sum does that make sense so like yeah i understand instead of signing paul goldschmidt to five years 125 million you're signing this guy to eight years and 200 million. So they look at it as 75 extra million dollars that they're handing out. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to guarantee 200 million dollars to somebody. Yeah, but I think if you do it that way, if that's the way they're thinking, then guess what, everybody? It's never going to change. You're going to be mediocre. Because no matter what, every deal that you make for somebody who's a big-time player, who's a legit difference maker, you're going to have to add on to that. You're going to have 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars because that's the way the game evolves. That's the way the salaries evolve. So if that's the way that they look at it, then they're never going to pick up a better player. And, and here's the problem, like if if you if you're baseball, you can't just keep drafting and developing players and hope to hit a World Series at some point. Sooner or later, you got to go out there and spend the money to bring that big-time player in to put you over the hump. The Dodgers just did it with Mookie Betts. They've drafted. They've been to the World Series with players, but they've never been able to win it. You go out and you get that one player who can change it, that's how you switch things up. And the Cardinals need a face of the franchise. Let's face it, guys. Like they, if, if Yachty's going to be out after this year, if Ueno's going to be out after this year in a best-case scenario... Well, then who are you going to the ballpark for here pretty soon? The, the, the answer is there's really nobody. Honestly, there, you, you want to see Jack Flaherty pitch, but when he's not pitching on the four of the five days over the course of a week that he's not pitching, who are you going to watch? If Francisco Lindor played for this team, you're going to watch Francisco Lindor. Corey Seager is a stud. Now, he's not like a magnetic personality, but he's a stud baseball player that you love going to watch. But you got Paul Goldschmidt. He's not a really big personality. True. Does a pretty darn good job on the field, though. It's the big fundy. He is. So you've got guys like that, and that helps. But eventually, if you want to get over the top, you have to get a guy like this into your clubhouse. And I just, when I look at these salaries and I look at what it's going to take to be able to bring one of these players in, I look at Francisco Lindor and I say, that's got Dodgers written all over it. I see Carlo, uh, Corey Seager, that, that has New York Mets all over it. I see Trevor Story, uh, that has the Yankees written all over it. Carlos Correa, he probably stays down there. Uh, Javi Baez, I bet you he stays up in Chicago. And now it's like, okay, so who are the Cardinals signing? I don't see them getting any of these guys. So here's my question to you both. Um, is the Cardinals, right? They have a tradition of winning. Okay, overall. Okay, yeah. listen. I One of the winningest franchises second, in baseball history. Most second World, World, World Series, Series right? Yeah, so that's right where I was headed. And over the past twenty years, what they've been winning records, right? They had a couple of years where there's some bleeps on the radar, the Matheny years there. But apart from that, so the tradition essentially in St. Louis is winning. Now, why is that changing? And that's a serious question because. 
I think you have to, at this point right now, specifically right now, when you're losing pillars of your organization in Yachty and in Wayno, who potentially could be gone because things are still up in the air. But why are you not now advancing the ball towards keeping that winning tradition? And if they take a year off here and they do the let's find out what we've got, let's save some money. Great. Okay, I'm okay. We've all agreed we're okay with that. But then come next offseason, when you have these guys available, why are you not swinging for the fences on it and keeping that winning tradition here in St. Louis? Mo's argument would be we're still winning. We've been winning. But they can't continue down that path. What they're doing right now is not sustainable beyond maybe this next upcoming season. Once things get back to kind of sort of normal, other teams are going to start to upgrade. The Cubs will be back into buying mode soon enough. And the other teams that are around are going to continue to evolve. So if you stay pat with what you've got, it's not sustainable to remain winning. Let's take a look at that because I do think what you're saying basically is, hey, let's read the room a little bit here, Cardinals, because the rest of the National League, it's about to change a little bit. Let's do that on the other side. Let's take a look around the National League for a minute to see where the Cardinals, in terms of the long-term outlook, where they stand compared to some of these other teams teams in the league because I do think that is instructive on what they're going to need to do next offseason that's coming up next on 101 ESPN we're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN the reality of it is they have a new owner he's the richest owner in the history of baseball uh, while every other team seems to be going into a ret- period of retrenchment I have a feeling the Mets are going to be extremely active for everybody, every single possible free agent. It's a great buyer's market out there, and uh, very few teams seem to be willing to be one of the teams buying, and the Cardinals certainly appear to fit that bill, considering it took about 30, 24 hours after the end of the World Series uh, before the GM was saying we're going to cut payroll. So that was Jared Diamond on with us yesterday, talking about how few teams are going to be actually looking to add a salary like Francisco Lindor's. And one of those teams is the New York Mets. And their owner right now is having his press conference, and he's saying all of the right things. Basically, he just had another quote that I told these guys during the break, where he's like, yeah, we want to be able to develop from within, but if we need to go get a piece that is going to help us win a World Series, we're not afraid to trade that that talent from within to go get that piece. How much is he activating the fan base? right oh, now. That's I all can't even doing. imagine. Like you talk about activating a fan base right now. The top of the food chain is activating that fan base. That's he's the only thing you should be doing. He's doing what Eli Drinkwitz did for Mizzou fans over the offseason. Like we, we talked about this a lot whenever Drink was first hired and he would come on and he'd be uh, super affable and interesting and fun and energetic. And it's like, whoa. Who is this guy and where did he come from? Because this all the is, right things. It's getting the fans through with it. And then he made it. He got a big win against LSU. He gets the big win against Kentucky. It's like, OK, Mizzou fans are ready for it. The same thing is true right now for the Mets. Now, their owner needs to back it up with winning. They've got to do that part of it. But that appears to be what the goal is for him. He also said, if I don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, it's been a disappointment for me. Okay, well, you have now laid down the gauntlet of what the timeline is. Well, for he you just to created do some his winning. window, didn't he? So three to five years. <laughs> All right. I, I think I know at least one team that is going to be spending this offseason. I don't know who else is going to be, but the Mets are definitely going to be doing a little spending. So you were just talking about, Jamie, what does it look like for the Cardinals? This what they're doing right now, not sustainable long term. 
And a big part of that is what's going on right now around them and the rest of the National League. We just talked about the Mets. That's a team that is on the rise. Like if you're doing the the arrow pointing up or down for a franchise, the Mets arrow is strongly pointing up right now. The same thing I think is true for the Phillies. They are going for it. They are not afraid to be able to go for it a little bit here. I think the Marlins, the arrow is pointing up right now after what we saw this year from some of their young talent, especially their pitching. And what Mattingly was able to do with guys that he didn't even know. And has all the cap space in the world to go out there and spend some money when you got an owner like Derek Jeter. The Braves, their arrow is certainly pointing up. They've got a ton of young talent mm-hmm. that is signed long term. The Cubs are down. The Reds are down. The Brewers down. Basically, the entire NL Central is pointing down. But then you go over to the West, and it's the same thing. The Dodgers pointing way up still. I don't believe that. The Padres Padres. pointing way up still. The Giants are going to start spending here pretty soon. Their arrow is going to be up, pointing up soon rather than sooner than later. That is like eight or nine teams that we are talking about going in the opposite direction of the Cardinals. Well, you don't have to be a mathematician that at some point you kind of run out of spots in the playoffs. You run out of opportunities to be able to really compete among your peers. This is why it's so important for the Cardinals over the next calendar year or so to really start finding what is the next direction for our franchise, because what's going on right now? It's not good enough long term to compete with the Braves and the Mets and the Nationals and the Dodgers and the Padres. Those teams just have too much talent compared to what the Cardinals. Yeah, but it's what you said about the NL Central. They're all going down. So that just means the Cardinals need to stand pat and you win the division. You get in the playoffs. Yeah. And so let me I guess let me readdress here what I meant by winning, because a couple of the text messages that came in six, five, seven, eight, oh, air comfort service text line uh, challenging me on what I mean by winning. And one of them from the six, uh, six, three, six says it's not changing. Still haven't had losing seasons. NLCS trip two years ago and a better start from Wayno away from winning against the Padres. This is still a winning franchise. Okay, but what do you define winning anymore? If being the best of the worst in the Central Division next year is winning to you, that's fine. But you know what? I'm a transplant, right? Come from Canada. I've lived in St. Louis for 20-plus years now. And the number one thing that has been ingrained into me is that we win championships here as St. Louis Cardinals. We don't care about playoff appearances. We don't care about NLCS. What we care about is that World Series trophy. And we're damn proud that we're second all time to having that many championships. Or at least a pennant. People care about winning the pennant and winning the National League and going to the World Series. Now, if it ends in disaster in the World Series, it is what it is. At least you were the team that represented your league in the World Series. The Cardinals are going up against some of these teams right now, and I don't like the way that it is trending for them. But is it changing now? Are the expectations changing now? Are we just, is Cardinal Nation just satisfied with having a better record than 500? Are they satisfied with limping into the playoffs? Are they satisfied with a first round exit? Is that what winning is now? If so, then yeah, you have a winning franchise. I don't think Cardinals Nation satisfied with it. I think Cardinals. Well, they just, they're the ones who just told me here on the text I think line. Cardinals front office is satisfied with it, of getting into the playoffs and squeaking out a victory in the NLDS and then getting shut out in the NLCS. I think they're satisfied with that because that's a profit for them. But they have an opportunity here to BK's point to really go out and pick up a player, whether it's Francisco Lindor, where they make the trade now or try to and sign him long-term and get that out of the way. Or if they take this season again, me personally, and it doesn't really matter what I think is John Mosaic doesn't call me for opinions, maybe drink, 
offers, but nothing else. But anyways, it's what you have to do. Go through this next season and stay pat, develop players, whatever. Ride it out in an awful central division and hope you get into the playoffs. But the following season, you have an opportunity with those players that are available to catapult your franchise again to be in the discussion. And I think that's what matters to Cardinals fans is being in the discussion. And going into next year, you're not in that discussion. And that's fine. If it's a one-off and you need to, we've said this before, Jamie, if it's a one-off situation where you have to reset things this year to be able to really make a push for 2022 and beyond, Cardinals fans will listen to that. They're smart baseball fans. They're going to be able to understand, okay, this is our best way to be able to get back into title contention. The goal should be winning a World Series. It's the entire goal of what we're trying to do here. For the for the Blues, for 50 years, the goal was winning a Stanley Cup. And finally, they were able to do it. But the goal was always to get to that cup. It's the same thing for the Cardinals. The goal should be getting to and winning the World Series. It doesn't feel like it's that anymore. And so the, I think that's what's so frustrating. We had somebody on the text line just a little bit ago uh, from the 314. Hey, BK, no matter how much you want them to, the Cardinals just aren't going to spend their money on high-priced free agents. It's just not going to happen. When you get to this place, and I think a lot of Cardinals fans are here officially, when you get to the place of apathy, when you get to the place of Cardinals fans just hearing names like Francisco Lindor and Seeger and Correa and Story and Freeman and Baez and Bryant, and they say to themselves, oh, well, that's nice. It's great that that's going to be a free agent class for the Mets and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cubs and the Braves for, to, for them to be able to swim in and us to just look at and think about how great it would be to have them. When you get to that point, that's when you've lost this fan base, even if it's just a little bit even if it's just a little bit, because now they don't believe that they are in the same ilk as the top real contenders across the National League. And that's always been the thing for Cardinals fans is it doesn't matter what our market size is. This team can compete with the big boys. And it feels like if this doesn't start to shift in the coming couple of years, it might not feel that way anymore a few years from now. Yeah, 65780, Air Comfort Service text line from the 314 here. Uh, actually, sorry, 636. Jamie, I get your point, but the Dodgers hadn't won since 1988. The goal to make the playoffs and try to win championships is what they do, which is, is, which is what they continue to do. Love you guys. If that makes a difference, well, it always makes a difference. <laughs> but here's my, my response to that is... If you ask a Dodgers fan in the last decade, I'll just go decade. Do you feel like your team has gone all in to win it? They're going to say yes, because they've gone out and they've got players and they've paid guys and they've made trades. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, BK, but that organization has kept their fan base stimulated because, yes, they've fallen short, but not for lack of effort by bringing in players or paying players or going for it every year. Absolutely. They've also been to the NLCS seven times in the last 13 years, and they've been to the World Series in three of the last four seasons. If the Cardinals were doing that, and that was kind of what the Cardinals were doing in the early to mid 2000s, that was the type of sustained success that the Cardinals were in the midst of when they had Scott Rowland and Jim Edmonds and Albert Pujols and then Matt Holliday and Carlos Beltran. And you had all of these. Studs, whether you want to call them stars or studs or really tremendous players, whatever well, you want they to were classify stars, them as. Man. I'm with you. Whatever you want to classify them as, though, they had those guys. The current Cardinals do not. The current Cardinals have a couple of guys that you really like. 
they don't have MV3. And that's kind of where you need to be at. Look at the Dodgers. How are they having this sustained success right now? Where in the last five years, they've been to four NLCSs and they've been to the World Series three times. They they decided, you know what? It's not good enough to just have Corey Seager and Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger. We also need to add to the mix Mookie Betts. That's what the Cardinals seem unwilling to do, and that's the difference between the two teams right now. And I get it. The Cardinals are never going to have a $250 million payroll, and I wouldn't expect them to. But when they do clear the books coming off of this upcoming season, maybe go get that one other big guy, that one other big-time bat, so that way when you get to the World Series the way that the Dodgers did this year, the the opposing manager loses his mind and decides to go with another pitcher Mm. because he's about to face the guy that he's so afraid to face in Mookie Betts. The Cardinals don't have that right now, and that's what they're missing. That's what they need to get. That's what a guy like Lindor or Correa or Seager, whoever the guy is that you want, that's what that would provide to your lineup. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Bill Belichick, are we seeing this year that the quarterback was always more important than the coach? I think we saw a little bit of that last night. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You look on the field, it's just not there. Uh, Bill Belichick talked about it, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago. Like, we sold out to get get three Super Bowls or make the appearances. You damn sure did, and I noticed it more last night (laughs) than any game all season. New England is bad, and people need to accept that. Gee, I know you're happy because y'all kept that loss and you're still in the sweepstakes (laughs) for Trevor Lawrence, but dang, New England, y'all look just as bad as the New York Jets, man. Are the Patriots just not good? No, they're not. Just just not good at all. No, not good. Not good. Uh-uh. That was Marcus Spears on Get Up earlier today saying the Patriots are a bad football team. And guys, I think I agree with him. Three and five on the season last night. They were down 20 to 10 at halftime to the New York Jets. Yeah, led but by... Joe Flacco was playing. What the f- yeah, that is the right way to look at that. Joe Flacco and Frank Gore. Whoa. It's that Hall of Fame fame, Gore, to you. you. Yeah, you it's don't... 2020, and Joe Flacco, Frank Gore, and <laughs> Brashad Perriman were shredding the New England Patriots. I think it is officially time to kind of take a step back here, Jamie, and say to ourselves, okay, Bill Belichick, clearly one of the greatest coaches ever. I think the best coach ever. I think we are learning something really important from this particular time with him, though, when he doesn't have Tom Brady anymore. If you don't have the quarterback, sometimes it doesn't matter how good your coach is. I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in the league. If he doesn't have a quality quarterback, it doesn't matter. If Andy Reid ended up having, instead of Patrick Mahomes this season, they go to Chad Henney for the rest of the year, well, the Chiefs aren't a real contender anymore because they don't have Patrick Mahomes in that situation. I think we are learning this year, maybe more than ever before, Jamie, with this experiment that we're seeing right before our very eyes with Tampa down in, uh, or Tom Brady down in Tampa and Cam Newton replacing him in New England. It's really more about the quarterback than it is the coach all along. Ooh. Yeah, look, it, uh, New England's just bad all around. Like, they don't, Edelman's out now. Who have they got for targets and who have they got to throw the ball? Cam Newton. Well, they drafted DK Metcalf. <laughs> oh, wait. 
No, no, they didn't. That's right. No, wrong team. Nikhil Harry was the better receiver there. They're missing a bunch of defensive players who opted out of this season. It's not a good team. It's not a good team. And not even Bill Belichick can save this team right now. So I don't know where they go from here. I really don't. And to your point, yeah, the quarterback does make a difference. But, you know, we talked about it earlier today. Like Tom Brady, I I think he saw the walls ready to, you know, come crashing down in New England. And I think that he wanted to prove that he's still a good quarterback. Although reading today, it looks like he's got some problems yeah. going on down in Tampa. He's where getting called out by Bruce, Bruce now. Bruce Arians has had too much coffee again. He's decided to <laughs> try and call out Tom Brady, which that won't work out very well for you. But yeah, the Patriots are screwed right now. And if I'm Bill Belichick, Heck, I'm platooning all of my practice roster guys out there. I want to lose to get close enough to where I can make a play for either Trevor Lawrence or was Justin Fields? Yeah, mm-hmm. Justin Field. Yeah, Field. Anyways, that's what I'm doing if I'm Bill Belichick. Or I'm orchestrating a trade somewhere to where if the Dallas Cowboys are so putrid that maybe Jerry Jones will trade Dak Prescott and hopes of getting one of those young quarterbacks. The problem is they're so screwed to the point that they don't have any pieces worth trading. Like they had the trade deadline where people they were calling Cam Newton. Well, yeah, well, how'd that go out for you? They had Stephon Gilmore, <laughs> who people were making calls for, but the Patriots weren't willing to trade well, the him price was for high. the asking price. That's Whoa. the problem, though. You got guys who are elite who are two certain contracts that you're not going to trade because they're not going to meet the demands that the Patriots want. But there's no middle tier. The lower tier, the next tier for the Patriots are guys that nobody wants or aren't willing to give for a sixth round draft pick. That's they're like in purgatory right now yep. of not knowing where to go. Six five seven eight O's the air comfort service text line from the three one four. Guys, I didn't know the quarterback also plays defense. It seems to me that the Patriots defense can't stop anybody, and it also seems to me that Cam Newton does not trust any of his options at receiver or running back. He's basically a one man show out there. It's a bad show, too. Damn. While true, I agree with everything that Texter just said. The same thing was true last year. When Tom Brady was their quarterback, he didn't trust their receivers. They Their defense was really good, but when they played some of the best teams, it didn't look quite so good anymore. They, they had already shown at least signs of decline a year ago towards the end of the season, and that team went 12-4. and four. And so while I understand that there are some deficiencies clearly with the roster this year, Tom Brady, and you know, you guys know of all people, I'm not the one that's going to stand up here and stand for Tom Brady. Tom Brady got that team to 12 and four a year ago. Cam Newton's fine. He's not a terrible quarterback, yeah. but this team's probably going to go like six and 10, seven and nine. Maybe I didn't even know that was possible with Bill Belichick at the helm. I thought that Bill Belichick was like a guaranteed eight wins at a minimum. And that's not the case this year. And so I think I am learning in real time. And maybe I should have known this already. The quarterback just makes so much of a difference that if you don't have that piece in place, it doesn't even matter if you have Bill Belichick, you can still end up at this type of a season. Even those seasons where Belichick had uh, to go with, who was it, that when Brady was injured and then... Matt Castle. Okay, Matt Castle, where he had to use him and was successful. That's when we're like, well, hey, you can use anybody there. He had more around him. Man, that, that was point. Randy Moss and Wes Welker. I and mean, they, had, they were basically the greatest show on turf at that point. And they had a good defense, too, to support that. So it, the theory of put anybody in at quarterback in New England and it works 
Well, it does if you have the pieces around you. That's where I'm at, too. I mean, we can sit here and talk about this as much as we want. I still believe Bill Belichick is an incredible coach, and you give him at least some type of weapons and he can make magic with it. The problem is he has nothing right now. It is his fault, Alex. Yeah. He's the GM. Well, it is his fault. I understand that wholeheartedly. Well, the dog's more at risk. Maybe the dog's the one making these bad picks. We saw it at the the table. But tinfoil coming out. He's he set that up on draft night because he, he knew this was going to be a bad team and he's going to blame he's it on the blame dog. The dog. Imagine that. Imagine oh, blaming your dog. If he does yeah, that. don't blame the dog, the dog, Bill. Fault. That's that's BS. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Maybe they should put somebody actually in charge of making the draft picks. That is a human. That seems like a good idea to me. We'll we dive into the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk with Craig Berube coming up here in just about 45 minutes. The Blues head coach going to join us coming up at 1.30. But right now we're diving into the junk drawer. And Jamie Rivers said this one's going to teeter on whether or not I enjoy it. I am. Oh, yeah. I'm going to willfully hand this thing over to you, Jamie. <laughs> what do you do have for us today in the junk drawer? Well, after this one, I hope Chief still joins us uh, oh, at God. 1.30 today. But Chief might actually like this a little bit because it involves Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson, as we know, he's having his big comeback fight against Roy Jones Jr. November 28th, I believe. Anyways, Mike Tyson went on a podcast uh, just earlier this week with uh, Jeff Nowitzki, who is the drug testing urine sample guy for the UFC and somehow or other they got into the the, the conversation uh, because Mike Tyson was never shy of mm, weed, cocaine, I mean whatever he could get Would his hands on, right? That. So Jeff asked him, well, how did you get around the drug tests because it's heavily scrutinized for boxing? Well, boys, the Wizenator is back in play. I heard this. This is okay. incredible. And Mike Tyson, who has a Wizenator, for those who don't know what a Wizenator is, it's a prosthetic penis with a built-in bag to store, well, someone else's urine so that when what you pee, f- it's clear. Okay? <laughs> so Mike Tyson had a Wizenator, and at all times, um, he'd get the tap on the shoulder. And because I don't know if you guys have ever had a drug test by a sanctioned thing, but in the NHL, they would do it. And the guy asked to didn't s- make the, the professionals. They didn't do that at uh, Joe's Crab Shack for no. you, BK? Okay, no. well, it, it's or a shame. <laughs> it's a weird yet not Beat uncomfortable. Said they were threatening it, but they gonna never did. I'm just going to continue to power through this. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. But anyways, the guy or the, well, most of the time was a guy stands there and watches you pull out your wee wee and you have to go in the cup in front of him so it's not like you know it's not an easy thing so the wizenator and this is the best thing is the guy said well it it probably have to match right so mike tyson of course had it uh, airbrushed perfectly to match the color of his skin and therefore his wizenator looked uh like him like him in fact he does laugh and say in fact he goes uh in fact what i did is uh just for fun i had to make my wizenator even bigger so yeah so he um he had a 
There was an ongoing joke for Mike Tyson. Now, one thing he did caution against anybody who's out there in the Wizinator market right now, one, color matching is very important, uh, must do. And secondly is you shouldn't use your wife's urine because... She probably partakes in the same things as you? No, No, she's probably pregnant. She might be pregnant. And then it's a bit of a problem when that comes back on your test. Mike Tyson just ruined all drug (laughs) tests for people now because now guys are going to have to be in there with you to make sure you're not faking it and using wrong urine and now they got to make sure that it's real that you're using it with. Yeah. So, guys, uh, I guess the question is... um, you know, if you're a professional, <laughs> what is it, what is it? there is no Please. question. No, the question, question is this, because it's a random drug test, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, do you buy a special handbag to carry your Wizinator around with you just in case you get the tap? Yeah! I'm clean. I don't know about you guys. I'm perfectly, I can go ahead and pass one tomorrow. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying it, but if for some reason. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Something got into my system that I didn't got, know about. You had a big marathon coming up and you decided that, you know what? I'm taking first place. You know what? Get on eBay and find me one of those Wizinators. Yeah, one of those Wizinators. Frankly, I'm just curious about how them more than anything. How much do you think anything. something like this goes for? I don't know. Let's, and let's what, how much up? would you spend if you're Mike Tyson on a Wizinator? Apparently, he invested heavily uh, because he had an airbrush to match identically to what oh, he's... There's an official website for the Wizinator. $130. That seems pretty cheap. Honestly. They do... <laughs> For, for what it's worth, on the site, they for do actually have... you got to Google yeah, Wizinator. Just don't Google it if you're at work it, around yeah. other people. Yeah, seriously, do I, it at home. I got to say, uh, these don't look very realistic. What? Well, now you know why Mike Tyson had an artiste yeah. involved. Mm. Yeah. You're, you're getting what he you're paying for here. properly. $130 for the... Uh, for the regular version, don't go with that one. I don't know what the upcharge is for the one that looks realistic, but it's worth it. It's worth it. These ones are not not very well done. The Wizinator, the actual on-brand thing. Yeah, I think you got to... There's something else that's got to be available out there. Great question from the 314. Oh so when you take it on an airplane, do you check it or is it a carry-on? <laughs> I think I, I think you got to make that a carry-on. That gets the ding, sir. Maybe two dings. Passing a drug test. I would imagine the man in my story today for the junk drawer probably couldn't pass his drug test. There was an armed robbery, Jamie, up in Oregon at a hardware store on Tuesday morning. The gentleman decided he needed a sofa. Needed a sofa at home. And so he was going to go in, did not have the money for this sofa. He was going to go in, grab the sofa, and take it home. Now, how is he going to get this home, you might ask? Hmm. Of course, he's going to strap it to the top of his car. Now, what he didn't think about was the potential of the cops being called on him. And, you know, the getaway car typically you want something that's unmarked, totally <laughs> innocuous. You, you want your something OJ. that's like a, you know, like a gray Ford Focus that just fits in with everybody else. Right. It's not going to be something that really catches a whole lot of White attention. Ford Bronco. Unfortunately, his dark Mazda CX-9 with the black sofa straps to the top (laughs) was pretty easy to find. The police (laughs) radar, is there any markings on the vehicle? Yes, it has a sofa on top. It has a black sofa on top, and it's strapped down. Joseph Tyler Johnson is a 34-year-old gentleman. He has since been arrested. He is going to jail. He faces charges including robbery, unlawful use of a weapon, attempts to elude, reckless driving, reckless endangerment 
all because he needed that sofa at home that he decided to strap to the top hmm. of his car. Damn. That's an interesting uh it's an interesting tactic. Maybe next time at least get a truck that has a bed where you can put the sofa. Maybe a tarp. Something. Something that can Something seal it. Something that can hide a it little a little bit. bit. Maybe yeah. not on the top See, of the See, you guys are trying to conceal around. things. You're just blending into the world. Just put a mattress on. You're just moving a mattress, right? Nobody yeah, knows what you're doing. Especially after a mattress has been declared stolen. It's going to no. make it here. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'm officer, sure nobody will look for this. Officer, <laughs> this is my mattress. I'm moving it's from another house. It's different than the one you're looking for. Yeah, no, By this is way, mine. The car was also stolen, just as oh, a little bit of a kicker. Oh, there but we you go. hold the headline there, BK. Why use your own car? With Jamie Rivers and Alex I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. If Paul Goldschmidt does not lead the Cardinals in home runs next year, who will? We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie from the 636. BK, are you drunk? What? What? Why? No, I had What'd a little bit of time? a rough time. Listen, Jamie's had a rough time sometimes in these FanDuel ads. I had a no, rough one on the disclaimer. Jamie never uh, messes if you, up. Jamie never messes maybe up. Maybe he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't have the right copy. And the player make miss one where topical pregame super boost in goose. Yeah, there was that time. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> that that was one of them. I think he literally started another, and then he went on with what the bleep? Oh yes, that. <laughs> that was uh, that was another opportunity. What I, the? I just had my moment in the last one where I started reading one disclaimer. It was a different one, <laughs> and I <laughs> I had to change it in uh, mid read. So. I appreciate you noticing. Thank you. That means that at least I don't sound drunk normally. Well, that's to be determined. But in fairness to you, the disclaimers do change and fluctuate. Yeah, so. They do. They yeah. do occasionally. You All were right. like full stride, too, and you just had to change lanes. You got through it, though. You power through. Well, we made it through. So I want to get into who's going to lead the Cardinals in home runs if Paul Goldschmidt doesn't here in just a moment. But Jeff Passan just tweeted this out. ESPN has obtained the full arrest report for Chicago White Sox manager Tony LaRusso's DUI charge. I want to read you guys some of the details in this report because it ain't great. So LaRusso reportedly stated that he had one glass of wine while at dinner with his friends before searching him and placing him in the rear of the patrol vehicle. LaRusso asked the officer, quote, do you see my ring? End quote. The officer asked LaRusso what he was talking about. LaRusso stated, quote, I am a Hall of Fame baseball person. While placing him in the rear of the patrol vehicle, LaRusso then again stated, quote, I'm legit. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. You're trying to embarrass me, end quote. The officer then stated that he would not embarrass him and he would be treated with the utmost respect. Tried the Hulk Hogan method. Trying to go with the do you know who I am method in 2020 might not be a great way to get out of something like this. It's not. uh, Look, the police officer's doing his job. And quite honestly, when you do, when you drop that, do you know who I am? It's almost insulting them. Like, in my opinion, it it would be almost insulting to the police officer, like that his job is not relevant enough to arrest a celebrity type thing. It's just a bad defense, which to me, unfortunately, even though Tony says he had a glass of wine, I don't think a glass of wine would have him saying 
those things. In the last 10 to 15 years, when has Do You Know Who I Am worked? Never. Ever. Like, when has that I ever worked? every day, and people have no idea who I am, and they're like, what are you talking about? Also, Hall of Fame baseball person? Don't you pick up my garbage? Couldn't you just say, like, I'm a baseball Hall of Famer? Like I to say I the ring, well, that maybe that's a better. silly part that of it. Made but it better? No, but it's just like a, I'm a Hall of Fame baseball person. I'm a Hall of Famer brother. Like to say the rings too. Does that mean he's wearing the rings when he's driving around? Apparently, it was in his car. So I come on. Tom. I don't know, Does man. He keep it there just in case. Well, it's where you keep safe things that you don't want stolen in your car. Oh, I don't man. know. I, listen, it's just a bad look for for Tony Larusa. I I hope. He gets through this um, and, and makes better decisions. But I think, guys, with the temperature of the, of society and the way it is, I think you could see a manager change before he even spends a day there as the manager. Well, BK, you brought up the Tennessee Volunteers when we were talking about it earlier today. And then the other one that came to mind is the most recent Arizona Coyote situation. Now, this is much different where they basically renounced a draft pick that they took because of bullying that he did when he was back in high school. But they originally were... Sticking with this guy, and we've talked about this off air. They were sticking with this draft pick, and then the outpour of fans, not just from the Arizona Coyotes, but from hockey, forced their hand into getting rid of that draft pick. Which I would imagine, if there's a lot of problems with this, there's going to be outpouring, and they might get rid of them. They're also, for what it's worth, and I don't know how much this is worth, but there was a tweet thread earlier today between Keith Law and. Uh, free agent pitcher Marcus Stroman um, who went back and forth about the Tony La Russa situation and Keith Law said they knew and they hired him anyways. Uh, Stroman said SMH baffling on all measures. Somebody asked uh, a fan then tweeted towards Marcus Stroman saying how much money would it take you to play for them and Stroman said no amount of money honestly. Peace of mind is always the priority. If you've got other guys publicly saying something like that around the league, free agents who maybe you would be interested in, I have no idea if the White Sox would want to bring in Stroman or not. I think that's kind of beside the point, frankly. If you've got guys that are openly saying something like this about playing for your manager, it's just it. all of this seems to be piling up in a way that doesn't feel good for the White Sox. The thing is, though. It comes down to one person and whether or not the owner wants to let him go. And the owner is the one that decided to go with him to begin yeah, with. Yeah, it is the owner's choice. So and nobody can really pressure the owner. And he's, mean, he just wants to stick to his his guns. And he's doing this what seems like because of the mistake, or at least he stated that it was because of the mistake he made in the past of getting rid of Tony La Russa. So he's sticking with this guy no matter what. So I think he's going to stay. Whether we like it or not, we think he should or not, doesn't much matter. I I think Tony La Russa is going to get his shot next year, and it's going to be determined based on whether or not he wins. Now, there's a lot of stuff that could be potentially here distraction-wise, mm-hmm. and we'll see how it goes, but if the owner is going to stand by him and he seems to be doing exactly that thus far, I see no reason to believe that this is going to change anytime, at least in the near future. It's going to be hard for Tony Russo too, because they're already scrutinizing the, the decision to hire him as a manager, strictly baseball. Let's not talk about anything else. And now you throw this on top of it. You will have people that are relishing in his failure. If it happens because they're upset about things that even are unbaseball related. 
And I don't care what anybody says on the text line talking about, oh, this happens all the time, and oh, my God, this I don't really care. The bottom line is he broke the law, man, and, and that's where it's at. Yeah, and I, I'll be interested to see where this goes from here. I, I don't know what baseball is going to do about it. I don't know if there will be any sort of suspension or fine or if there's going to be any punishment from the league. I, but he I don't know. wasn't even an employee at the time of that team. I, he was technically employed, though, by baseball, right? He's been serving in some sort of special advisor role to a few teams yeah. over the I years. The so Angels, maybe? Yeah, he's he's... He's still technically been in the league. It'll there's certainly going to be some more developments in this as we go along here. And uh, stay tuned, two to six for the fast lane. Maybe they'll have something new for you then as well. All right. So I was listening to Danny Mac the other day on his show, and he was talking about the Cardinals and their home run hitters, right? And he was asked by somebody, somebody on the text line said, "Hey, if Paul Goldschmidt doesn't lead the Cardinals in homers next year, who do you think will?" Here was Danny Mac's response to this. Let's just say Tyler O'Neill gets 500 at bats. Okay, the Cardinals may just say, here you go, Tyler. Good, bad, ugly. Striking out time and time again. Bad stretches, but we're going to let you let you have 500 at-bats. He gets 500 at-bats, he probably hits 25, 30 home runs. I could see that happening. So he would be on that list. I think Paul DeYoung would be on that list. And I'll leave it at those two. <laughs> That's the tough part is there's not a whole lot of great options here. So, Jamie, I'll ask you the same question that the listeners asked Danny Mack. If we get to the end of the season and Paul Goldschmidt is not the player that leads the Cardinals in home runs, who do you think it will be for the upcoming year? Well, let me ask you this real quick. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to pull it up, but I can't get there fast enough. How many home runs did Dylan Carlson have? Last year? Yeah, in his short stint. Uh, three? He had I three was, homers. I thought it was three. He's my horse. He's my horse. I'm telling you right now. I think that he he displayed enough power in that short period of time while still getting used to Major League Baseball pitching. I think that if you give him enough at-bats, per the point of if you're going to give Tyler O'Neill that many at-bats, I think Dylan Carlson makes contact with the ball way more often than Tyler O'Neill, And by default, he's going to have a few of those carry for him in certain ballparks. So my horse in this race if it's not Paul Goldschmidt, I'm going Dylan Carlson. Mine's a simple choice. It's Harrison Bader. I mean, you're oh giving him an God. $18 on, million dollar extension. Where's the, where's the no. button? you got to find the button. Uh, my God. Look, I, I think... <laughs> I think Tyler O'Neill is an, an interesting one. I just don't see it. For me, Paul DeYoung is the guy. Um, and it's hard to say that now because he had a rough season this year. And I get COVID. He was out for a while. So you kind of are uncertain. But I was thinking with a 60-game schedule, Paul DeYoung wouldn't have the fatigue that he usually goes through. He'd be able to crush it. And what did he hit? Five, maybe? Somewhere close to that? back yeah. half of that. So... The problem is I don't know if you're going to have anybody close to what Paul Goldschmidt has put up there if he doesn't lead in home runs. Like, I think there's going to be a wide gap between Goldschmidt and the second-place home run hitter on this Cardinals team. I'll go off the board a little bit. I don't think this is guy is going to get I think the correct answer here is, is either Dylan Carlson or Paul DeYoung. I, I think that those would be the two guys that I would go with. But since they're already off the board, I'll go with the third guy don't that say I think Carpenter. could be. No. What about Tommy Edmond? He's going to play every day next year. He's played 147 games so far for the Cardinals in his big league career. In those 147 games, he has 530 at-bats and he has 16 homers. If he could get to 20 this year, if he's playing legitimately every day, it's not crazy to think that that would be the lead for the Cardinals. It's funny because you don't associate him with power at all, but you're right. 
he, he, he seems to get a hold of him. And you got to wonder, though, what Tommy Edman can produce as an everyday player because he produced that. And frankly, he was an everyday player, although it was in different positions. But as an everyday person in the batting order, you wonder if he can produce. But he's shown that he's got pop to his game. So I don't think he's out of the ordinary to throw into this conversation. This is kind of crazy to me. So over the last two seasons, if you just look at them as one big chunk, Paul Goldschmidt clearly is number one on the team in slugging percentage. And I'm looking at guys that have at least 100 plate appearances over the last two seasons combined. Paul Goldschmidt's number one in, in slugging percentage. Second is Marcelo Zuna. No real surprise there. Brad Miller is third on this list. Tommy Edmond is fourth. He's actually above Paul DeYoung. He's above Dexter Fowler. He's above Colton Wong. He's above Yadier Molina. This is wild to me. Yadier Molina over the last two years has a higher slugging percentage than Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill has this. We laughed about the Harrison Bader nomination. He has the same slugging percentage over the last two years as Harrison Bader does. Over the last two years, here's what Tyler O'Neill is. 220 batting average, 285 on base, 385 slugging. How many plate appearances, though, as opposed to the other guys? 300 plate appearances for Tyler O'Neill. There's 500 plate appearances in that time for Harrison Bader. So you haven't hit the 500 threshold yet for O'Neill. It could get a lot better or it could get worse. Or it could just be this. And understand those 300 were in spurts, too, where he would play, he'd be injured, he'd be sent down, he'd play again. Like It was never consistent flow with Tyler O'Neill in the batting order. What do you think the number would be? Because we talked about the players, right, where Edmund, Carlson, DeYoung. What do you think the number would be in terms of total home runs next year for whoever leads the the, the Cardinals in homers, whether it be Goldschmidt or otherwise? Oh, yeah, that's including Goldie? Sure, let's include him. 33. I was going to say 29. I, I think you get close to that 30 threshold. I don't know if you hit it, though. I, I'll take 30. Uh, I'll take it right in between. <laughs> I think that's the that right rules. I think what that's your number. <laughs> if I set the over under today on the Cardinals leading home run hitter hits 30 home runs next year, would you take the over or the under under today? Well, based on what I just said, take the over. I guess I have to take the over. I guess I got to take the under. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get this to, to ride the fence. Yeah, I think I would take the under Shocker. as well. I think I would take the under as well. Ooh. If I if I was forced to to go one way or the other, just because I mean, Goldschmidt's amazing, right? We, we all know this, but if he were to get hurt at all and he misses 10, 15 games, it'll be difficult for him to get to that number. And then I don't think that there's anybody else on the roster that I would really project to get there. Paul DeYoung has shown flashes of being a legit 30 home run hitter, but he just can't do it consistently. And that's the biggest he runs out hit of gas, to him. And I don't yeah. know why. Well, and now that you you don't have Colton Wong and Tommy Edmonds going to be an everyday player, you don't have the guy who can spell Paul DeYoung at shortstop. So you might be looking at more fatigue for Paul Brad DeYoung. Miller. Brad Miller can Bring do anything. Milsey. Milsey can do anything. At this point, I'd be in favor of it. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Bet it or forget it is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for better or forget it. All right, people are mad at me. 
This is no surprise to anybody, but people are mad at me. now, buddy? What's going on? So, in our open today, we asked the question, if the Cardinals were going to sign one of their young players to a contract extension, the way that they have in the past with Carlos Martinez, Colton Uh Wong, we've seen this time and time again, right? They show up to spring training, and then they suddenly hold a press conference and say, hey, we have signed player X to a five-year extension. It's going to buy out his arbitration years, and we get an extra two years on the back end. Typically, they make those like team options, kind of like they just did with Colton Wong. Yes. I would not be surprised if they if they were going to do this, the player that they would give it to is Harrison Bader. I know that hurts. I know you don't want to hear it, but he's starting arbitration this year. He's going to probably make about a million dollars this season. That probably raises up to like three to four, maybe five million dollars next year. And then it gets even more expensive after that in his final year of arbitration. If they were to do this, I bet it would be something like five years, $25 million. So 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for better to forget it. Better to forget it, Jamie. If the Cardinals gave Harrison Bader a five-year, $25 million contract, they would live to regret that deal. On top of what he currently has left. No, just re- replace the arbitration years. Okay. So you have three arbitration so years instead currently. instead of it becoming like eight years total, it becomes five years total. It's just a five-year contract worth $25 million. There's a half year in there, too. Stop. Yeah, you got to be careful with that half year. Um better to forget it they would live to regret that deal if they signed him to a five-year 25 million dollar contract today replacing the arbitration and having those maybe you even have those last two years as team options um i don't now that it's only five years total i'm starting to think that it's not a bad idea before though the way we were talking about it was after 2023 another oh, five no, years no 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 that's I, why i was I'm like bu- i'm buying out the arbitration okay. years that way i don't have to worry about the uncertainty of the possibility he has a good year and then yeah. he ends up making even more in arbitration you know what's possible i'm gonna forget it ultimately and here's why okay is because I think you can slide Dylan Carlson over to center field at some point, although that will be a slight fall in defensive ability. But then you can throw somebody out in left field again. You can go get a free agent with another bat, possibly. And I don't think the drop-off is that big. So I'd rather take that money and put it towards another outfielder with knowing, and then we saw it a little bit, that Dylan Carlson can play center field as well. Why are you the way that you are? I hate so much for this? about the things that you choose to That's be. You. I'm directing that at BK. Well, you got to time it better, Alex. Well, you talk better too Better to much. forget it. The oh, Cardinals would live to regret that, right? that deal, Ferrario. Uh, I'll find I'll bet it because I think they'll forget. Uh, they're they're not gonna. You think that they would regret it? Painkillers are kicking in here. Yeah, I think they're going to regret this. I yeah, think it's Wizenator. obvious you regret this one, regardless of you're going to be taking playing time away from a Dylan Carlson, who I know he's going to get in there, but then you're going to have to still play Tyler O'Neill. You're going to still have to play Lane Thomas while you have it. And you're going to use that as an excuse for not going out there and trying to upgrade in other areas because you have Harrison Bader locked up. It's the same excuse you've used with Matt Carpenter while you're not upgrading a third base. Well, we have Matt Carpenter at $18.5 million, so we can't do that. Even if it's at $5 million for the next five years. I think you're going to live to regret that at some point, so I'll bet it. See, I don't think that they would Wait, was I supposed to bet it? You yeah, forget it. So right. you agreed with BK. You're so that's right. why I played that sounder. So it, no, it's, it's not, but that's funny. Five million dollars. So anybody in baseball, anybody in baseball would be willing to trade for that contract if they needed a really good defender in center field. Whether he was going to be your fourth outfielder or starting outfielder, there are teams out there contenders and 
very much not contenders that would like to have that contract on their books because it's it's a plus value for you. As much as I know Cardinals fans don't want to hear it, the guy's not a bad baseball player. He's an elite level defender and he's average to slightly below average at the plate and the strikeouts are frustrating to watch and I totally understand that but if they decided to give this contract to him I'm forgetting it I do not think they would regret it at all it'd be easy to trade the same way that the Steven Piscotti deal was easy for them to be able to trade and I actually think they could get something in return oh for my it. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it better to forget it guys the Miami Dolphins will make the playoffs this year in the AFC I'm betting it. I'm betting it. I've been on the fence with this, and we've talked about it for a number of weeks, and I thought that maybe the move to Tua was premature. I take it back. I think I think he's going to be just fine. And in that division, in that conference, I, I think they make the playoffs. I, yeah, I'm in. I'm betting it, too. I'm just looking at their schedule. Got the Chargers, which I think you can – Agree that's going to be a competitive game. Broncos, Jets. I mean, they got the Chiefs, which is not going to be easy, and the Bills, which won't be easy. But other than that, I mean, you're looking at another four or five wins for these guys. If the defense, the key is going to be the defense. If they can continue to do what they've been doing and sustain that, they'll be a playoff contending team. I think they're going to go 10 and 6 this year. And I think they make the playoffs. So I'm betting this. I, I, again, kind of like Ferrario just did, I look at the schedule. There's only two games that I view as, and really one of them is unwinnable. I, I can't see them beating the Chiefs. I just don't think no. they're at that level right now. Going to the Bills will be really difficult for them to be able to win that one, but it's not unattainable. Earlier this year, they only lost to the Bills by three, so they could win that game. It's not crazy to think Josh Allen throws three picks. One of them gets returned for a touchdown, and the Dolphins win 24-20. I could see that happening. So I think I'm going to bet this. I think the Dolphins are making the playoffs. I think they finish the year something like 10-6 and six or so. I think we see them kind of on the on the right path moving forward with Tua as their quarterback. Final one here as we go into bet it or forget it. Craig Berube, Blues head coach, going to join us coming up in about five minutes or so. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will have multiple 25 home run hitters next season, Jamie Rivers. Multiple hitters that finish the year with at least 25 home runs oh, next season. That's a trick question because two is multiple. Yep. How <laughs> no, is that a trick question? Well, because it's like, it sounds, when you say multiple, uh, it sounds greater than the Cardinals will have two. <laughs> How is that a trick it's question? A trick. They try to trick you every time. <laughs> I'm going to say that I'll bet it that they do have multiple, as in two, guys who hit 25. Who do you think they are? DeYoung and. And Goldie? I think it's Carlson and Goldie. Oh, I'm sticking to it. Find that sounder in Another just one. a little bit. <laughs> I oh. didn't even mean to do it. Ooh. I'm forgetting this one. I, I think Goldschmidt will be the one that surpasses 25. I think the next one that's close to it is almost hits 20. Whether it be Carlson, DeYoung, O'Neal, I don't see somebody else going past 25. I think it's going to be something similar to what we saw in 2018. I'm with Ferrario on this one. That year, uh, they had Carpenter, who did finish the year with 36 homers. I obviously I don't, don't see him getting that. there. I don't think I want to. But I think you could see Goldie approaching something similar. And then after Carpenter that year, it was Ozuna at 23, Molina at 20, DeYoung at 19. I think it's something like that, where you've got quite a few guys that are between that 15 to 20 range. I don't see a whole lot of other players that realistically projects to be 25 plus, though. So 
I'm going to go ahead and forget it. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited to be able to be joined by Craig Berube, the head coach of your St. Louis Blues, coming up next. We want to talk to him about Colton Pareko's new role on the team, him taking over as, as Doug Armstrong said, the alpha dog of the blue line. We'll talk to him about that. Plus, what does he want to see from Justin Falk in the upcoming season? We'll ask Craig Berube when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the Blues head coach. He's Craig Berube joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coach, we always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Good, good, guys. Uh, how you guys doing? Nice weather here out in uh, the East Coast in Philly. Um, so, doing okay. You're out in Philly? Wow, there's nothing else that's going on in Pennsylvania these days, eh, Chief? <laughs> Must be pretty quiet. It is quiet. Um, <laughs> other than a little bit of golf. <laughs> Speaking of golf, um, the off season this year. It's crazy, right? We're sitting here in November, and this is the off season. So for you guys as the coaching staff right now, never mind the players, we'll get to that later. As a coaching staff, you, you've added Jim Montgomery, who, you know, look, at uh, Jimmy's a tremendous hockey mind, great hockey IQ. Um, and you've got Mike Van Ryan, Steve Ott, yourself, Sean Farrell, the video coach. You know, how are you guys trying to stay prepared in this uncertainty of January 1 or February 1? Like, at this point, like, we don't really know when the heck it's going to start. Yeah, it's, I know it's hard. Um, I think, you know, we've done a good job of uh, just, you know, work, doing work, like, not together so much, but on our, you know, we're all kind of spread out and doing things. There's some guys in St. Louis and different places, but, you know, I think, um, we, you know, we've been doing some work here and uh, breaking tape down of uh, our team, trying to get better, uh, trying to just, you know, break down each individual player and what we expect out of them and what we think, uh, you know, his limit he can get to. And, you know, we'll meet. We'll get together here this week and, and uh, we'll, we'll work. We'll, uh, you know, sit down for three or four days and uh, look at all that stuff. So just trying to keep busy that way, but also trying to, uh, you know, trying to improve our team the best we can. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's what we're trying. That's all we can do right now. Yeah. Okay. So, Chief, I wanted to get into the players now just a little bit because at the end of the way the last season ended, which feels like an eternity ago now, you know, some of the players and in yourself included talked about how maybe guys weren't ready or prepared enough during that pause to come back and and reach their maximum potential. As a coaching staff, look, sounds like you guys are on the ball. I know you guys are. You work your ass off. But how do you make sure this off season that that doesn't happen with your players? Yeah. Um, you know, all we can do really is, you know, keep in contact with our players, um, you know, through text, through phone calls, talk to them, the importance of uh, them training, keeping themselves sharp mentally and physically. Uh, we hired a new strength coach. So, you know, he's on top of that with, um, you know, different things that the guys can do. I think our guys were not happy last year getting, you know, beat like that, the way we got beat. So I don't think that's going to happen this time. 
One guy that I wanted to ask you about kind of looking back a little bit before we start looking forward, Coach, is Jordan Bennington, because, I mean, it's not the ending that he would have liked or anybody would have liked at the end of the season, but it seems like you guys are, are all in on him this year. You know, Jake Allen gets traded away, and now he's going to be asked to really be the guy going into the season. What makes you have so much faith that Jordan Bennington can take that role and become an even more consistent starter this year? Um, what, what what gives you that faith in him, Coach? Well, I mean, he's shown it. I think, you know, you look at uh, when he went, went in in January and played, then through playoffs, and then coming back this last season, he had a real good year. I mean, he was right up there in wins in the league, so he's shown that he could take the bulk of the load in which he did. He played a lot of games and he was very successful. Like he didn't have a, he didn't have a good um, outing in the bubble. Neither did the whole team. Uh, It's not just on him. It's on the whole team. So um, we have, you know, tremendous faith in him. He's shown he can do it. Um, But also we traded Jake Allen, but we're, you know, Billy Huso's a real good goalie. He's uh, proven himself in the minors. He's up and coming here. So we got faith in him too. We need we need two good goalies. All right, Chief, in the offseason here, the big news is, I guess we'll call it a bit of a changing of the guard. Alex Petrangelo, longtime blue, um, coming to terms with Las Vegas Golden Knights. And you guys going out and in return signing Tory Krug, who, look, we know a lot about Tory Krug from over the years and specifically in the Stanley Cup final against the Bruins. How does adding Tory Krug change the dynamic for you guys on the blue line? And, and is there even a change? Oh, it's a, he's a different player than Petrangelo. But in saying that, he's proven he's a very good player. He, you know, uh, he, he. I think he fits nicely uh, with our team and our style of play. Uh, how we use our defense, uh, getting them up ice. Um, you know, he moves the puck really well, skates really well. So, I expect he's going to really like the way we play um, with our D up in the play, our D in the offensive zone. So, I think he's going to really be a nice fit there. And also, he's he's run a very good power play in Boston for a number of years. Um, so we lose Petra, who's a very good power play guy, but we're adding a, um, you know, a, a power play guy that's proven over the years and done a real good job with a real good power play. Yeah, for sure. Look, there's no doubt he can quarterback a power play. He's one of the best in the league at it. Um, if we stay on the blue line, another player who's got some power play experience, some penalty kill experience, he's been an all-around really good defenseman, is Justin Falk, but it, it, the chips didn't fall just right for him last year. And, and I'm sure that he would admit to, and that, in fact, he has that, you know, certainly wasn't the season that he wanted to have as his first season with the Blues. But moving forward now, moving forward, there's been some space that's been cleared out on the right side, and he's going to hopefully be able to play on his strong side and contribute as a coaching staff and, and for Justin, the player himself. What are the expectations from Justin Falk to to make those steps forward the way he has to? Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, he came into a tough situation. Uh, The right side was pretty, you know, full there with, uh, Petrangelo and Perenko was tough for him. Um, you know, he he played the left side. He did a lot of night. He did a lot of good things for the team. He he's a very good team guy. Um, 
you know, he didn't say, well, I don't want to play the left side. I don't want to do this. He he became a real good player for us in the end, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, he didn't put the points up that he normally does, but he wasn't put in those situations to produce. So I think going forward here, he's going to have a better opportunity to produce more. But I thought he did a real good job of just moving the puck, um, eating minutes up, defending, uh, you know, playing the left or the right side, playing with different pairs. Real good team guy. But going forward here, I think there's going to be more opportunity for him. Blues head coach Craig Bur- Ruby joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coach, you mentioned Falk. We've talked about Tory Krug and the guy that is really kind of taking the next step in his career now that Alex Petrangelo is heading over to Vegas is Colton Pareko. And Doug Armstrong said recently in a column by Jeremy Rutherford that Pareko is now the alpha dog on that blue line. He's the clear-cut number one defenseman for you guys. From from where you stand, what you want to see out of Pareko this year, what would you like to see from him to take that next step? to go from being a really good player, one of the better D-men in the league, to, to taking that next step in his career. What do you want to see from him this season? Well, I don't know if I, like, I really don't think of it like, you know, some next step. Like, he just has to keep playing the hockey. He plays, I mean, this guy plays against, you know, the top lines and the other team every night. Um, he you know, he produces for us offensively. He scored, uh, you know, 10, 11 goals in the last two seasons. Um, he's going to get more power play time this year. So his points could go up because of that. But I don't, you know, I don't like putting, you know, too many expectations on a person. He just needs to go and keep playing his game and doing what he does. You're, you're right. He's a great defender. Um, and he just needs to keep being a real good defender. And his offense comes from his shot. So he gets in there and he shoots pucks, there's rebounds, he beats goalies with a shot. And I don't think there's a whole lot that, you know, needs to change there. Now, from a leadership standpoint, back on the blue line, we're going to need somebody to step up, and that's where he can do that because we lost Petro. Craig, this is Alex Ferrario here. I'm curious, talking about Colton Pareko, you saw it firsthand a couple of years ago. Larry Robinson, of course, the Hall of Famer, working with the team as a consultant. But how much of an impact did Larry have on Colton Pareko's growth? Um, you know, I think Larry just being around has an impact on the whole team, to be honest with you. Um, he's a legend. He's uh, he's won a bunch of cups. He knows how to win, and he's a great defenseman, obviously a Hall of Famer. So, you know, I don't know if it's one particular guy where, you know, he has an effect on. I think just his presence in general around our whole organization is, uh, you know, a positive one for sure, I think. He's an, even our coaching staff, we love Larry. We love being around him. Uh, love, you know, what he has to say about the game and what's going on. And I think he does that with the players, too. I don't think he really gets in there and feeds them a bunch of stuff. I think, you know, he points out little things to each player, what what he's seeing and, and what, what maybe they could do better. Yeah, we got Larry coming on in two days, Chief, and I couldn't agree more. He He's just got a great way of communicating that's, you know, not necessarily coach, player. It's kind of like he's one of the guys, and I think that that really helps the guys in their development for sure. Oh, definitely. I think, you know, you, a guy like Larry Robinson, as good as a player as he was in, in the, the championships he's won, and, and just, you know, you talk to him, and it's just like a – Wow, this guy's down-to-earth normal guy that really knows the game and, you know, really has a way of, you know, uh, communicating to you, you know, as a player or as a coach, uh, what he's seeing. So, it's uh, you know, it's a gift that he has. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, as we shift gears just a little bit, Chief, the offense this year, okay? Look, we Vladimir Tarasenko going to be out for an, ex, an extended period of time. What that is, I guess, to be determined, but it's going to be a while before he's even reevaluated. So the next question is obvious, and I'm sure you've been pelted by this from multiple sources, but I got to ask you anyways, is what's the plan in order to fill that void? And I know right off the top, nobody is Vladimir Tarasenko, so if it's a platoon, tune effort what are some who are some of the players that you're looking for to take that next step or elevate their game overall to produce a little more offense yeah i think it doesn't really change from last year that much to be honest with the other and now we lost petrangelo but we added uh krug so you know if you look at the points they're pretty similar um you know in the last few years but, like, you know, we lost Vladdy last year, and we just scored by committee. Um, if you look at our scoring through our lineup, you know, everybody's chipping in, and our defense was maybe, I don't know what they were in the league scoring-wise, but it was definitely in the top five in the league. Um, you know, we had a number of guys that uh, produced for us up and down our lineup, you know. And, again, going forward, guys like Thomas, Cairo, Blay, uh, we're looking at Sanford to keep improving. He had a real good year last year um you know just those guys got to keep producing for us and we need goals from everybody to be honest with you uh when you're out in the ice you've got a job to do it's uh you're responsible defensively and when you don't have the puck you check and get it back and then offensively we all play the same way we really do and we get in the offensive zone control the play and uh try to score some goals you know we looked at our scoring last year we we're you know we we're pretty good throughout the season i think uh, we're top 10 probably in the league in scoring coach we had you on in july it was right before you guys ultimately went back into the bubble and you talked to us about robert thomas and you said for to me there's a good possibility you could see a star one day in Robert Thomas. He has the ability to be a star. He's now been in the league for two years, and you started seeing him more often at center, his natural position last year. What do you think is the role going into next year for Robert Thomas, and what do you think fans can expect from him now? Is, is he ready to become what is eventually going to be a star, in your opinion? Yeah, no, I think he's going to keep getting there um you you, you got to be careful using that word star you know like it takes time sometimes sometimes for you know that to come around not everybody is a star right away it takes a few years sometimes but i think uh thomas's role this year is you know he's got to come to camp and he's got to prove that he's ready to take on a bigger role and i think he will and uh if that's the case then we're going to give him that you know we're we're looking maybe he'll be in the top six most of the year you know, so that'll be a bigger role for him and a lot more offensive situations and uh, more ice time, right? Yeah, Chief, you're right. It does take a few years for guys to become that star. I remember it took me a few years to get there as well. Um, <laughs> year four, though, he was ready, Coach. He was ready. Year, year 11, I was, I was just about there. Yeah, I'm still waiting for myself. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, all right, Coach, last one that, I, that I've got for you here. Uh, there's one player still out there that's unsigned, is Vince Dunn. And, I, I, you know, I, I know the contract situation is really not much of a battle here. It's going to be determined probably relatively soon. But he's a player that also has the ability to bring some of that offense from the blue line. Now, what what role does he have moving forward? And how can Vince Dunn help contribute to the Blues blue line moving forward? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me, like, Dunner's been a very good player for us the last two seasons. Uh, you know, he's he's got double-digit goals the last couple of years, too, so he's produced for us offensively, and he's been, you know, running a different power play units at different times. So I think training camp's going to really unveil a lot of these situations and where, where guys really fit in with their roles and everything. So I think Dunn, whatever role he's in, he, he's going to be a valuable player for us. I really do. Like, we use everybody in our hockey team when we need everybody. I think the one thing that uh, Dunner moving forward and and um, will make him a better player is consistency. Uh, we say that all the time, and he's still a young defenseman, and it takes a long – takes a while for – defenseman you know as you know to develop into being a real consistent player night in and night out back there uh there's a lot of decisions to be made when you're a defenseman and to become a real good d-man it's all about the decision making and making the right decisions all the time and that takes a little bit of time but dunner going forward for us you know he's a very good player for us we use him a lot in different situations and uh you know i'm looking forward to having him again and coaching him again He's Blues head coach Craig Berube. Always enjoy his time here on 101 ESPN. Coach, enjoy the last, hopefully, few weeks of being up in Philadelphia. We look forward to watching the team again soon, and hopefully that's coming up sooner as opposed to later. Always appreciate the time. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Right, take care. Absolutely. That's Blues head coach Craig Berube here on 101 ESPN. I nothing earth shattering there necessarily but it does seem what i what i really liked was his first answer to your question jamie about the preparation and it probably shouldn't surprise me that they're going through some self-scouting right now any team worth its salt would Mm -hmm. do exactly that but i'm gonna be interested early in the year whenever the season does officially begin to see what differences maybe even subtle differences there are in the style that they're playing or how the team looks cohesively what the roles are what the power play units look like i'll be interested to see if there are clear differences compared to when we last saw them in the bubble after some of that self-scouting well let's hope there's clear differences right because the way they the way things went for the team up in the bubble wasn't ideal and i think to a man and to the coaching staff and everybody surrounding the team, they feel the same way. Uh, What's going to be interesting for me is, one, a couple things I know for sure is Craig Berube is definitely going to identify what each guy's role is. There's no secrets with Chief. He doesn't beat around the bush. It's not a guessing game. It's, you know, here's your spot. Here's your role. Now it's up to you to go and do it or you lose it, basically. And so coming back around to Vince Dunn, Vince Dunn's at a pivotal point in his career right now. Why do I say that? Because I've been there. I've been that guy that's kind of sort of offensive, kind of sort of fifth or sixth, kind of sort of six, seven, depending on where you're at. He's got to take the bull by the horns here. And what I mean by that is come to training camp, whenever that may be, and compete to be the guy in training camp that's in the best shape compete right away to be in the video room to be doing off ice skills to do on ice skills take that next step because he does he has the ability to add so much to that blues roster and specifically on the blue line so it's going to be interesting for me to see how craig ruby has set the tone for these guys to come back in what kind of condition and mindset that they're in you mentioned the roles 
I remember Marco Scandella. I, I think you talked with him with Anthony Stalter right after that trade, and he talked about how Craig Berube went to him right away and basically said, hey, here's what your role is going to be. I don't need you to do anything more. I don't need you to do anything less than this. This is what we need from you on a night-in, night-out basis. And he said that made him feel comfortable because yep. he knew exactly what was expected of him from the moment that he walked through the door. And Colton Pareko now. To Chief's point, Chief didn't say, I don't expect him to move mountains here. Like, let's not get carried away. He's a darn good defenseman right now. In fact, he's a great defenseman right now. I'd like to see him continue down this path and that he becomes more of a leader. The one guy who didn't have that last year was Justin Falk. And now you would hope and believe that because he does have that role, things could change a little bit for him. Maybe uh-huh. they go down a better path this season because he does see, okay, I'm going to be top four every night. I'm going to be on the right side every night. This is going to be my pairing more often than not. I'm comfortable in this spot as opposed to last year where maybe you're top, top four one night, maybe you're one of the bottom pairings the next night. That's maybe hard. you're on the left side one night, maybe you're on the right side the other. And it's just, it, it was so discombobulated over mm-hmm. the course of the season for good reason. They had Petro and Pareko, and it's hard to move those guys for Justin Falk. Well, you just not now you don't have to do that going into this upcoming year yeah and it is tough for that player no matter how much his paycheck says for anybody who's listening it doesn't make it easier for that player to be all over the map Uh, whether he's making league minimum or he's making six and a half million dollars the key to being a consistent player in the nhl is being comfortable in your role and excelling in it and that's not necessarily been provided yet for Justin Falk. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Huge thanks to Craig Berube for giving us so much time today. If you missed any of that conversation, 101ESPN.com is the place where you can find it. We typically would have a crossover here. We're just going to kick that thing down the road because the fast lane's coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.